Welcome to a special episode of The Long Take Review. The Long Take Review presents The Long TV Review. Ah, I'm your host, Jensen Tonkstein-Beckard, and I'm here with two fellow Star Wars fans. First, he's looked at history and realizes it's inevitable. It's P.T. McNiff. How's it going, P.T.? Perhaps this is where a Ronin such as me belongs. Long live the podcast. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, I've, I'm, I'm great, Jen. How are you? <laughs> Doing well. And he knows we're not following standard Jedi mission protocol. It's Greg Cass. How's it going, Greg? Uh, the relationship between a podcaster and an apprentice is as challenging as it is meaningful. I'm good, Jen. How are you? <laughs> Ah, oh, we matched, and you didn't even look at the Google Doc you said, so that was... No! Ah! <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that was perfect. I, I have to say, I mostly picked it because I knew that you had gotten Hu Yang on the quiz that Star Wars.com <laughs> put out, so... We are here to review the first season of the latest Star Wars series, Ahsoka, which just finished on Disney+. And here's the thing. We don't normally cover TV on the show, but <laughs> Greg and PT are two of the, the two friends that I have who love movies... And love Star Wars with the same fervor. So there's no Venn diagram between the three of us. And we're just like one big circle. <laughs> Until Star Wars starts putting out movies again, we have to talk about the TV shows in a special <laughs> insert episode. This is true. And and we are, we are going to try to contextualize the series, at least at the end, sort of bring it back to the movies and kind of the lack of movies, Star Wars movies in theaters and sort of like, where, where does this plug into kind of the tra trajectory in the future as we know it? Greg and I have had the good fortune of appearing on other podcasts that are, you know, dedicated to Star Wars. Uh, Greg's been on the Rebel Base Cards Breakfast Pack. I've been on Coffee with Kenobi. Uh, but PT hasn't, hasn't had an outlet to, for his Star Wars takes and his Ahsoka takes. So we wanted to bring him into the mix and do a full season retrospective. Uh, so if you are listening to us for the first time, Normally, we'd try to do a spoiler-free section, but we're actually, for this series, going to do full spoilers from the get-go. So if you've not seen all of the Ahsoka series, there will be spoilers. There may actually be other spoilers for other Star Wars things along the way. We will try to do sort of ad hoc spoiler warnings if that comes up. Just be like, fast forward 30 seconds or something like that. So that's that's sort of what, what you're getting yourself into today. But first, I wanted to do a quick movie and maybe TV also? I, this confused me. <laughs> <laughs> News check-in. Do we want to start with the Star Wars news? There was There's some very sad Star Wars news. And then some also very fun Star Wars news. I think start with the sad and then we can... Mm. We can uplift? Okay. Yes. That makes end. sense. So, I mean, Greg, Greg actually, you've the, you're the one who's talked and written the most eloquently, I think, about this loss for the Star Wars community, uh, the costume designer. I'm, so I'm going to I'm gonna hand it off to you because I know you're going to do a better job than I will. Yeah, so this one hit me really hard. Um, it was very sudden news last week. So there is a costume designer who has worked on almost all of the TV shows um, with uh, some exceptions. And her name was Shauna Terpkick, I believe you pronounce it. It's T-R-P-C-I-C. -C. Apologies if I got it wrong. 
Um, and I, uh, you know, had started to kind of marvel at how good the costumes were and had seen people passing around her posts. So I've maybe followed her on social media for about a year. And she is just she excuse me, she was just an incredible talent and she was so enthusiastic about what she was doing. Um, I loved she posted pictures at a convention where she stopped on the floor and helped cosplayers repair their costumes um, whenever the like um Disney would put the costumes out at a red carpet. She was there adjusting them and making sure they looked well, good on the mannequins and um, went to Disneyland frequently just to go be like ecstatic that a costume she designed was now on a character in Galaxy's Edge, like popping out of a door and greeting people. And so had just incredible enthusiasm and seemed to be such an incredible talent. And um, they have not talked about exactly how she passed, what the circumstances were, but there was no clue whatsoever that something um, that she was ill. And, um, you know, it sounded like she was about to come to New York City Comic Con this weekend and make an appearance. So um, it's very, very sad. And to see all the cast members and crew reach out um, and and share their thoughts. But um, the it's hard to under... I mean, Star Wars costumes disappear and that's kind of the point of them. But if you think about from at least Mando season two forward, um, there's been some incredible work going on. I mean, we're talking about Ahsoka tonight. I would point to Balin and Shin have this incredible kind of layering of armor and and cloth uh, robes and so on. Um, Ezra is wearing a, a chainmail shirt under his clothes that she had made and like hand forged. And so to do all of this and to, you know, use the design work and do it, it's just incredible work. And I think she's already won an Emmy for some season along the way. Um, and very sad that, you know, she's not going to be a part of things moving forward. So uh, obviously condolences to her family. And, and I hope Star Wars fans and everybody else take a little while and go learn about her career. I didn't learn until after she passed. She cut her feet, her teeth on Firefly. And I was like, there we go. There's some old school geek uh, influence. So very exciting, very sad, but um, you know, rest in peace, obviously. And, you know, just to add, I think that of all we're, we're going to be getting into and talking about in our, when we get to the rhetorical situation, the discourse around, Star Wars in general, Ahsoka in particular, there are a lot of critiques that are out there. I feel like costumes have always been like all along been like, yes, this is really strong. I feel like the costumes and and the music are kind of the uh, unimpeachable elements of of the craft of these shows that are just always strong and carried forward. And she was the standard bearer for uh, these these shows for the last few years. So it's it's really sad. And if you think about, especially the season of Ahsoka costumes are really a big part of the storytelling right because without especially rosario dawson's costumes a lot of the story would be less explicit <laughs> i think mm-hmm. we'll talk about that um but yeah just like the yeah the, the chain the costume changes i think were very very significant for several characters in this and the other thing i'll say too is on social media the main post that really got to me that i i saw was from jennifer beals who plays garza flip and apparently just like was just gushing over how she had so many costumes and each one had so much attention to detail, but there was a a cool story about how uh, the, the cost, this costume designer basically told her to sort of incorporate things in from her dreams into the character. 
And so they had apparently this whole back and forth about like and thing things that she told her about dreams that she had actually made it into some of the embroidery and stuff like that. It's so cool. So, wow. so yes, a huge loss uh, for oh, not only uh, not only Star Wars, but just, you know, the design community as well. Um, throw in Ahmed Best too. remember when he came as Keller and Beck and designed his robes to be Afrofuturism and designed kind of part of that. Um, that all was through her as well. Um, and one social media recommendation for people who want to celebrate her, look up the Mandalorian experience from Celebration Anaheim 2022. I know Jen and I got through it. I'm not sure you did, PT. You did? Uh, did. And that was just a big room full of amazing costumes and props. And a lot of that was Shauna's work. So so if people look up kind of all the different costumes there, you get views that, you know, the shame of something like the embroidery you just mentioned, Jen, is it doesn't make it on camera, right? It's like it, right. it's there and, and you don't really know. And so um, to be able to see those costumes up close, you can see some really cool photos from people's uh, trip to right. that exhibit. My happier or kind of more fun Star Wars news that I just saw today. So I actually didn't do an extensive amount of reading. I didn't actually read. I just saw a bunch of headlines. But apparently... Guillermo del Toro was working on a Jabba the Hutt movie. Did either, <laughs> either of you see this? I, I did. Yeah. It was, it, it's, it's happy and sad depending on whether people think that sounds like a good idea. Cause this is a, a movie that's not happening, but he was sort of in the early stages, pre-production or at least pitching an idea. And he wanted to do the, the sort of you know, rise of the gangster. And, uh, and I, I think that there was a quote uh, and I, now I don't, it's one of those things where it's like, it sounds so perfect, but also, Am I sure he actually said it or was it just on the internet? But like there, that there was a quote from him saying there's only there's only one character that I, I can see myself in and it's Jabba the Hutt because he's a very nice man. Uh, and uh, but that, yeah, he wanted to tell uh, he wanted to tell that story. And there's I mean, something really interesting about a filmmaker of that stature and, and his approach to telling uh, telling a story where that could have been incredible. But apparently the deal is not deal is not uh, the deal changing all the time. And this deal just fell apart. I, I really like that he mentioned it offhandedly. Somebody had the tip and he said, I was thinking about something. It, it, it involved a character with a J and two Bs. And uh, then it has been every interview since then he gets asked about it. And he's just kind of oh, giving hilarious. detail after detail. It's like, it's going to turn into Ewan talking about coming back as Obi-Wan Kenobi. And it's like, poor Guillermo can't do anything else. But, uh, you know, maybe the enthusiasm will have an effect on the power players and they can find a way to, to make it happen. Because uh, I, I, I love him as a filmmaker. It would be interesting to see him within the constraints of kind of a PG, PG-13 rated Star Wars movie in those regards. Yeah, and I think it was one of those things where I never would have thought of him in connection with Star Wars. But the second I saw this, it made total sense because he does have such a love for monsters and monster movies. And I, I'd i like to think that now that this is cir circulating in the press that like there could be a push to make it happen. <laughs> So that's why I'm choosing to be optimistic about it. Um, but I think, yeah, I think it would be so fun. Anything else new in the movie world or TV world, I guess, because we're also talking about TV. Well, if we're talking the TV world, I will I will just note, because this wasn't on, on your list, um, that there was a little, some little bit of information. There was an interview with Vince Gilligan that came out, who was the uh, creator of Breaking Bad, co-creator of Better Call Saul. He's working on a new show, I believe, for Apple. TV um, that is unrelated to those, is not connected to Albuquerque, or at least not connected to that uh, underworld of Albuquerque, but starring Ray Seahorn, who was Kim Wexler in Better Call Saul. Mm. Uh, and so uh, not, not a lot of details about what exactly will happen in the show, but just the fact that it is progressing forward and they're hoping to film once the strikes are over. 
got me very excited because I like his filmmaking approach. And I assume a lot of his creative team behind the scenes team uh, seems to like working with him and we'll go with him. So it will be, if nothing else, a beautifully shot show. Nice. All right. I think we're ready to get into talking about Ahsoka because that's what we came here to do. Uh, so I'm going to issue the spoiler warning again if you've not seen the entirety of the series because we're going to be hopping back and forth talking about the whole show, all eight episodes. Uh, so if you have not seen it yet and you do not want it spoiled, this is your last chance. <laughs> All right, so for once we're going to do short takes, but with spoilers, if you want to. Uh, so what what in general were both of your reactions? And I, I should say generally that all three of us are kind of more, more in the know than the average viewer of the show, right? Like we've seen all of Star Wars. We've seen all the animated shows. Um, so And we are going to talk later about audience members that have, are not coming with it with that context. But if you both want to kind of start with like what it, what was your relationship to the show going into it, the character or kind of anything like that, feel free to start with that. Sure. I, I will say that uh, the, 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 I think in contrast to maybe uh, thoughts you'll hear momentarily, uh, I, I really love the animated world, the sort of felony verse that has been built up from the clone wars, uh, especially rebels. I kind of think of rebels as, certainly some of the best star Wars that's out there. Some of my favorite star Wars uh, that's come out in the, uh, in the last, I mean, kind of forever, but especially sort of in the, in the Disney era of things. So I was excited about this, but also trepidatious because rebels is important and I didn't want this to go badly. And I don't think it, it did go badly. I thought this went really well. This is uh, maybe because of, my biases of what I want from Star Wars, plus my built-in knowledge, which, as Jen said, we will talk about that the burden or the benefit of uh, having all of that. Uh, this, you know, this was one of my favorite uh, experiences of the live-action shows uh, within the Star Wars world. Uh, I mean, there's Andor. I kind of feel like is in a class of itself, uh, but you know, this is jostling, and I think you know, currently right now, because of the parts that are in this that aren't in the other ones uh, is up there a little bit above the sort of the best seasons of uh, the Mandalorian. So yeah, I, I loved it and sort of, I understand a lot of the critiques that are out there, but I'm borderline baffled at how, uh, how much people don't like it, but that's part of being a star Wars fan, I guess in, in the year of our, of our Lord 2023. How about you, Greg? You mean you mean Grogu, the year of our Lord, Grogu. I almost said Grogu, and then I was like, is, that, <laughs> is it Grogu? I mean, is it anyway? Um, year yeah, of our maker. well. I, I could pretend to be some other way, but I wrote a very long uh, blog entry on ioncanon.com that, that really explained uh, the moment before the series started that I was not that excited about this one. Um, and the, the kind of hook for that blog entry was not my Star Wars, but making it okay to say not my Star Wars. Because I didn't mean this doesn't like become a part of my headcanon. I just meant that Star Wars has become so multifaceted. And there was a time when it was like, I love Star Wars and you loved everything in it. And then, you know, there are, it's not that anymore, right? Now there are so many places you can be a huge fan who only reads the comics or only watches the animated shows or what have you. So, um, you know, my feelings on Clone Wars and Rebels, I was there from the start of both shows and I kind of watched each episode as it was new day of or, or within that week. 
and I don't revisit them. I have fond memories. I enjoyed them. I don't think they're they're poor quality by any means, but it's just not the Star Wars that speaks the most to me. Um, and I, I I don't begrudge anybody who does love them. Um, but you know, I I tripped on some of the things in Rebels that just felt too out there and I'm saying this particularly because it it connects with our later conversation but things like the world between worlds things like giant wolves that can teleport you across a planet I was like this this is too weird for me and the Clone Wars was more grounded other than notably the Mortis arc which now may prove to be the most important part of the Mortis arc or maybe the Mortis arc and then the Yoda arc from the Lost Missions were kind of the most out there um, kind of weird Clone Wars stuff um, and you know, I, I think they pushed just a little too far for my main taste. And I'm like, I don't, I don't really get this. I don't really like this. Um, I also think rebels suffered by being, uh, an early edition of there's another Jedi who's still alive, uh, for me. And we now know there have been like 20 of these dudes. So order 66 was very haphazard at best. That was just the beginning. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so so I I think my I think I held it harder against rebels than I have more recent things because I've just come to accept it's a big galaxy, a lot escaped. All that being said, I thought this was a lot of fun. I really looked forward to it week to week. I thought some episodes were better than others, but I never regretted watching them. Um, on the whole, I'm probably more in the like this is like an eight and a half to me but there were some episodes that i thought were tens and they were really strong um it just uh didn't always hit those highs for me um but you know all of that i just said like yes not for me not for me uh i did buy the 500 ghost so i'm not like i'm not that high and mighty so uh so that that's about where i'm sitting and i'm really excited to unpack those feelings uh and talk to you all and hear about your enthusiasm so jen where where's your take on the whole uh season so for me going into this, Ahsoka is my favorite Star Wars character. And so and Rebels is one of my favorite Star Wars stories. And and I think I'm the opposite of Greg, where the weirder it got from like, especially from sort of a fantasy kind of mysticism perspective, the more excited I would get. And I was like, wow, this really is sort of opening up what Star Wars can be for me. Um, and so the fact that this series seems to double down on that made me very happy but also confounded me a little bit i was like i can't believe like there were many moments in the show where i'm like i cannot believe they're doing x um you know i can't well i guess we're in spoiler mode so i can actually say what x is like i can't believe the purgles are appearing in multiple episodes right i can't believe um there's the the night sisters are back and like doing crazy things and i can't believe that we're ending on a statue of the father pointing in a particular direction on a planet we really have no idea what it is so so a lot of i think that kind of stuff was really exciting to me and was something i think going into it i didn't really realize was on the table and then it was in those first two episodes where like i think in terms of ahsoka as a character and kind of like what this story was to be about i was a little more skeptical but all of the sort of like weird Star Wars mythology and the lore within the Star Wars universe, like I could tell from the get go that that was going to be a big part of the series. And that to me, and I feel like it largely delivered on that. We're going to talk about like sort of at the end of the season was satisfying, but in terms of like an arc of a story, <laughs> but um, I'd say that it was really uh, satisfying from that perspective. Like it gave us a lot to chew, sort of chew on. And then in terms of Ahsoka as a character, as I said, I was kind of skeptical at first. I was like, I'm not totally sure where this is going. 
but by episode five, I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I feel like it did so much to help us understand her psychology as a character, especially during this period in the Star Wars timeline uh, and, and all the stuff with between her and Anakin, all the callbacks. I felt like all of the sort of callbacks to older stories, particularly Clone Wars, was not fan service it was like actually the story itself and to me that that was really great so in general i'm very positive i just want to add to what you're saying we're, we're previewing some of the later segments i think that i think i i agree with you that the these connections weren't fan service they were story and i think that there are a lot of people who felt dissatisfied by the story because they wrote off the fan service. They wrote off the parts mm. that are like, okay, this is just for people who like the other shows and I'm not that person. So I don't care. And that they kind of switch their brains off sometimes, which doesn't mean that th this is beyond reproach. We have plenty of criticisms to get into, but I think that is really important that the story was sort of told through the continuation of themes and the continuation of characters and to some degree plot lines, uh, which I think ended up being a little muddy for those who aren't already invested in it, which is potentially good for us because we're invested in it. But then, uh, you know, it has to be recognized as maybe an issue in the show. For sure. So I think we're already kind of dipping into the criticisms potentially, or just the sort of discourse surrounding the show and who is it for and all that sort of stuff. And we are going to get there, but before we get into that, because as a potential get very, we in the weeds in terms of critical, uh, a, like sort of a critical view. I wanted to kind of just go through some of our highlights and start, you know, it, we're all three of us are, are, are teachers. And I, I think I assume all of us sort of, when we give feedback to students, start with what's working well and what we really liked and then kind of go into you know, hit the, Greg's shaking his head. I guess you don't, that's, Bust them that's down. how we were trained, Greg. Remove their hope <laughs> and then, then build them back up. No, no, completely. No sandwich model. It's a, <laughs> it's an open space sandwich for Greg. <laughs> I uh, I spent all day uh, recording comments for student papers. Um, and so every single time it was like, okay, what do I want to say about this one that's positive first? So I completely agree. It was just too easy a joke. <laughs> you have some interesting ideas here. Are you Wait, do you record your comments? Yes. Like you do, like you do audio comments? It saves me so much time. Yep, oh. I, I record a five-minute voice memo to them instead of commenting on drafts. Highly, highly recommended because they it. like it so better, too. So this is too. how you're so good at podcasting. It's like you've had so much mm. practice <laughs> recording <laughs> yourself. That's amazing. Uh, we, yeah, shout out to who Dan, our colleague at USC, who will never listen to this, but he also, he's the only other person I know who does this consistently, and he also says it's great. So I just didn't know that you did that. So amazing. All right. We're getting we're getting sidetracked, but this is not this this is not a teaching podcast. So it can very easily turn into one. Um, so I wanted to start with just in general, what to you was like? What what were the major highlights of this? Or like, what do you feel like was working the best? I'm gonna start with Hayden. Um, look, I was in the movie theater for episode five, and it totally worked and made it my favorite episode, and it was just so so good. And look. Lucasfilm bought my love for the Kenobi series by letting us go to the world premiere and it bought my love by sending me to the theater for this episode. I'm not going to say I don't see that um, 
working on me in both cases, but it was just so incredible. And I am here for the Hayden Redemption tour. Um, since we haven't talked a lot of Star Wars on this, I will say I'm not the biggest prequel fan, but I'm not at all a prequel hater. Um, I see their flaws. I think they're silly at times. But I have never been somebody who thought my childhood was ruined or anything like that. So um, to see Hayden, the actor, get some redemption and get to be kind of part of this fold and actually kind of show off his acting was huge to me. And we got a, a good taste of it in Kenobi, but I thought he was better here than he was in Kenobi. And that's partially what they asked him to do and how he got to do it. But um they released just a little behind the scenes shot that showed him kind of workshopping the character with Dave. And I was like, there it is. Yes. There's, there's my, uh, life is a glass house guy or whatever that other movie he did with shattered glass. No, I don't remember, it's, but life is uh, a house in shattered glass. I appreciate your yeah, pushing okay. for the crossover though. <laughs> Life in a Glass House, it, which is the Radiohead song, of course. Yeah, uh, Life in a Glass House is the cinematic universe name. You, you all are just behind. <laughs> um, so it's like you know he got hired for a reason, and then George Lucas. I mean, we know this from Natalie Portman, right? Natalie Portman's a great actress, but she's not great in the prequel movies. And so um, I'm here for the Hayden Redemption story. That was by far the highlight for me across these episodes. I, I hear you on that, and I, I agree. I think that there's there's a lot to be said not only for i mean there is sort of this cycle that that happens in star wars fandom and for those of you who have not already read it please go to ioncanon.com read that that post from greg about the not my star wars thing because i think it's it's such a fundamental truth of sort of how we cycle through uh star wars and there is this sort of new things are bad and then after a time it's like actually we like that and they get brought back in so it is time you know ahmed best has come back hayden's come back uh, but I think that, you know, Hayden has really shown that he's got the goods and uh, he was doing a lot of good here. So I, I do see that. And to to uh, agree with Greg in the uh, context of sort of the feeling of the prequels, I definitely openly admit that for you know, I'm more on the fanboy side because when the prequels came out, I was like, well, this is more Star Wars and that's what I wanted. And it was like, all these things are bad. And it's just like, yeah, you're right. But you know what? Like, I'm still going to go see this a ton of times because it's Star Wars and I want to know this story and I want to see it. And now that we have like Star Wars coming multiple times a year, it's uh, maybe not that same level of I got to, you know, it clears the threshold for uh, by just merely existing. But, um, you know, I think that the prequels have a lot of rich concepts and ideas that are not necessarily executed all that well or executed to the best of the ability given the, the, the time limits and the technology limits uh, and the maybe, you know, filmmaking approach limits that were there at the time. Uh, so uh, yeah, I, I never had uh, any like hatred towards Hayden, but I am very glad that, um, that he is back. And I partially lay all that groundwork um, to say that one of the things I really liked about this show was uh, its its subtlety. Um, and I don't know if it was always successful in its subtlety, but I do think it was doing uh, its best sort of show the dynamics between these characters uh, and the, the advancement and the growth and the arc of these characters um, without kind of banging you over the head with it, which uh, I laid all that prequel love down to say is in contrast to a lot of things that happen in the prequels where there are a lot of scenes where two people are talking about, well, this is how I'm feeling right now. And this is how I'm feeling right now. <laughs> uh, and then there's things that are subtle that get lost, uh, I think in the prequels, but 80% of the motivations and movements are spelled out in dialogue scenes in, uh, in those movies. And I think this did a good job of not doing that. Uh, I think a good job 
but maybe it was too subtle at times. Uh, again, something to get into and discuss. Uh, but I like that subtlety. And along with that, as sort of mentioned or referenced earlier, uh, another a- aspect I love was just sort of, it gave us another wing of this galaxy uh, or galaxies now to explore, which we sort of have the scum and villainy side in the Mandalorian. We have the sort of fight against oppression, fascism, rebellion uh, side in Andor uh, and, you know, sort of on the ground stuff. And this is the mysticism, the, the force dealing with the, the more magical concepts of it. And uh, I love that. I love having that. Uh, and uh, again, uh, unlike Greg, who hates Rebels, uh, I'm with Jen, who uh, I'm just joking. I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, I, you know, I, the, all that sort of weirdness. I like that. It, you know, it leaned into that. I like that it's opening the door uh, and and giving us that that corner of this fictional universe. Yeah, and I'll also, okay. sorry, Jen. I'll also say best space battles. Uh, I think that we've seen since Rogue One. I'm sorry. That, if I, I mean, your answer. <laughs> no, no, no. That's. I mean, that's sort of what I was going to say because I. What I was going to say is I think this series does a really good job of balancing classic things that we expect from Star Wars. Some I feel like some of the lightsaber battles in this are among the best I've ever seen, especially from like a fight choreography perspective, like. I was just rewatching the the one from the finale and uh, Diana Innocent and Asanto and Rosario Dawson are like going at it. And it's just incredible mm-hmm. to watch. And it's just like just from a pure like sort of like sort of physical perspective, like and in, in, in terms of their their um, sort of the athletics of it. I feel like are, like so many of the fights in this are really incredible. And then you have like, yeah, great, great callbacks to sort of like classic Star Wars space, space fights. But then also I feel like you know this series pushes star wars in new directions right like i think in my reviews if i look back at all my reviews all season i talked way way more about fantasy literature (laughs) than i ever would have for any other star wars series right like i Mm. i was like oh and this week this week we had uh, there's some things from miyazaki i can see this week there's tolkien this week there's there's narnia right like and i feel like i never really would have made those direct comparisons to other star wars stories and so i feel like it in that sense it really feels really fresh in the same way that Andor people were like wow for once a star wars star wars story that's not obsessed with jedi this is the opposite of that where it's like really like it's like all it's obsessed (laughs) with is the force and jedi right and what does that mean um so so to me i thought i i thought it struck a really good balance between all those things and and a lot of the complaints that people have i feel like if we satisfied what people were asking for that would take away inevitably from a lot of the amazing action that we got. And I feel like Star Wars has to have both. Like it has to have the the epics moments, the story, the conversations that kind of live on forever, but then also, uh, you know, these iconic action scenes. So, so in that, in that sense, I was, I was really happy. Yeah. And just like introducing new possibilities. That's the other thing. Uh, the idea that we, uh, I mean, it's just, just from the, the jump in the first couple episodes, the idea that there's a whole other galaxy. There were so many things in this world that, that were really game changing to Star Wars mm, mm. in ways that I feel like we don't even fully understand. Um, and so, so yeah, so I really, all that stuff to me was super exciting. How about Greg, why don't you pick? Cause I have a bunch of favorite fill in the blank. We're not going to get to all of them. Do you have one that you want to talk about? Hmm. Um, I'm tempted by the one where you just put your cursor, but uh, I want to go 
I'll say favorite line or exchange, but maybe take that like um, all the time the characters kind of branched off in little pairs and went and go had some either some action or some some dialogue as a part of this. So I'll maybe ask like kind of favorite uh, scene uh, in that regard, like when when two characters went in and had a little exchange. Um, and there are a few candidates for mine. Now, now I'm unsure of my answer. Um, I'm gonna give it to um, I'm gonna give it to Balin and Ahsoka in episode four when they were dueling at the kind of weird henge that they were were at. Um, I think you know it's always with a tinge of sadness that I mentioned Ray Stevenson's Balin because it was an incredible performance and it's just a another tragedy that we've lost him uh, at such an early age and. Uh, especially, you know, my big question all season was, did they land that plot line? Um, I, I didn't necessarily want him dead, but I was like, I'm scared of what happens if we don't get him back. And I, I think that's right. a really hard question now for, for the future seasons. Cause I think, um, you know, I don't want it to be Poochie went home to his own galaxy, but I also <laughs> think it can be really hard for anybody to live up to that performance. The joke I made on Rebel Base Card is Clancy Brown is right there and you wasted him on, on his cameo when he could deliver on a, a Balin. Um, and if, if people go out and see, because this is a movie podcast, go see Dumb Money. And there's a very small Clancy Brown, but a very great Clancy Brown does a Massachusetts accent part, which I really nice. encourage people to enjoy. Um, so I will say that scene was pretty incredible to me. And um, my main critique of the finale is they sidelined him and, and Shin, which to me were these two mercenary fallen Jedi antagonists were phenomenal and all my questions all season long was where is this plot line going and the finale said mm, tune in next year or three years from now with the writer strike uh when dave filoni has to hire a writer's room now and can't just write this himself and so on so like um it's gonna take some time and and i that was a little disappointing to me um uh so uh i will take that as my favorite kind of two characters laying it out talking some truth to each other I mean, yeah, Balin is just like A plus taunting, no notes. It's just he mm. was so good at antagonizing any character that he was with. <laughs> uh, I think, and, and just like holding, even with like Thrawn, like holding his own really and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, I, I agree with Ray because we do, I think this is a good time probably just to talk about the Ray Stevenson factor. And I think I would have been much easier had he been bad, which sounds <laughs> weird. But you know what I mean? Like, it would have been easier to be like, oh, it's unfortunate he died, but like, we're fine. You know what I mean? Like, in terms of not, not humanity is fine, but because he's a person, but like, <laughs> I'm sure he, and from all accounts, he was a lovely person. But, but you know, in terms of like the production of the series, that would have been a little bit easier. But I do think, I do think they have to recast him. I think, because to me, where we leave off clearly indicates that he has so much story to go. He's only just getting started in terms of what the journey his character's on. I doubt I doubt they would have written it that way and been like, oh, sure. No problem. We can just like not tell that story. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? So someone's going to have to do the thing that he was going to do, that Balin was going to play the role right. Balin was going to play in this story. Mm. And, you know, theoretically, they could just be like, and now someone else is doing it. Or, you know, the, the, the good guys find whatever he was looking for. And we we find out something happened to him and whatever. But yeah, it, it was his performance was so good. The character was so intriguing. 
I think you could argue mostly because his performance was so good. Yeah. Because, you know, there, there were a lot of sort of hints and dimension hints at dimensions in the character and sort of, you know, him making, uh, I think one of the things that really stood out was him sort of commenting, almost have meta commenting on Star Wars is like, these stories just happen over and over again and we got to break it. Like we got to find a new, a new thing besides Jedi versus Sith, Rebel versus Empire. You know, we're, we're stuck and I got to break the wheel and, and go from there. And I think a lot of people who are starved for Star Wars to do something else were ready for that to happen. Um, and I think that if Ray Stevenson were fine uh, in, in a better timeline and he was A-OK and ready to go for a second season, there still would have been a little bit of, oh, man, like, we got to wait till next time to find out where that mm. goes. But I think the fact that we the season mm. started, we are the first episodes dedicated to him, we already know he was gone. I think really put a lot of weight on like what is going to happen here. We're so intrigued. We're maybe the most intrigued by this. This is the biggest mystery. Everyone yeah. else was kind of a known factor if you follow all these things. These people are new. What are they going to do? Also, we only have eight episodes to do that. And then it ends with a very clear, this wasn't going to be a story that was going to be told in eight episodes. And I, I think that it hurt more because it's like, oh, God, like, who, so wait, someone else or a different character or a different actor playing this character? Ah, so, you know, I, I think that the, the circumstances made that feel worse than it might have otherwise. But I do think it was it would have been a bump for almost everyone. Mm. Like we didn't get 20 minutes of the finale about what Balin is up to. We got a, a 40 second silent shot that was incredible, but you know, only hinted at what might be happening, not more explanation and certainly nothing approaching closure. For sure. Yeah. And I think I've also seen but it's going to be a rough road from here on out with him because that character because I've seen some really bad fan casting, really bad. Like I love George Clooney, but he cannot play Balin's Skull. I don't oh know whoever God. posted that on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, well, "It's because of the be- basically." <laughs> anyway, I'll send it to you. I don't know. I don't remember where I saw it. But I was just like, "Are you serious?" So basically, the internet has decided anyone with a, a salt and pepper beard is an automatic candidate for Balin's goal. And like, that's just that's the wrong approach to be taking to this, yeah. this unfortunate process that we're not on. But yeah, I agree with your thing about there being, it being an extra mystery, like a meta mystery in addition to a mystery in the story. And that compounded kind of our need to know, because for me, I was definitely in suspense being like, is he going to just neatly, is his character, was his character always going to die off? And then we don't have to sort of worry about what's going to happen next. And again, it, in some ways, that would not that I wanted that character to die at all. He's super interesting, but it almost would have been easier, right? To be like, yeah. oh, mm-hmm. well, his character's gone anyway. Problem solved. So, I, I don't know. I really do think they have to recast him, or yeah, like I guess like if we're engineering the plot going forward, the only other candidate I can think of is PT mentioned earlier. Like, what other character could take over whatever he was going to do? I mean, Shin's the only one I can think of, right? It would because be a very we, different vibe. It would be a very different thing, but maybe right. it could work. Yeah. The only uh, other I option know- I see is uh, like he goes off, the character goes off and does his thing and everybody else is just chasing him. And we maybe actually never get to see what he did, but they're all following the footsteps and the mystery. Right. Of it, right. And then we find like, we, like he dies off screen. He dies off screen. Yeah. And then we find sort of like bits and pieces like, 
like not not literally his journal, but like basically the equivalent of like if we found his <laughs> journal being like, here's what I did today in the cave. And like, here's what I found. You know what I mean? So that that could work. I could see that. It's uh, like, and uh, then it's very much like his absence is still felt, but like in the story, he's not gone. Sort yeah. of thing. It's sort of like Bioshock with the uh, the big bad guy um, that you never actually catch up to, but you start to you, you get little snippets mm. of stuff that he did. Uh, I just wanted to note that both uh, Rebel Base Card and Coffee with Kenobi, the two podcasts that my co-hosts were on, uh, <laughs> discourage irresponsible speculation, uh, and I feel like th- th- this could be a safe haven for some irresponsible speculation <laughs> at the end say, of the season. That was extremely <laughs> challenging for me. Like <laughs> we are we are Because if you've read any of my reviews, I I don't care. I fully speculate. I go like wild wild conjectures and it's very therapeutic for me and excited and fun and and to be like, oh wait, anytime anything I was saying approach speculation, I had to stop talking about it. It was like very challenging. Um so I'm glad that we can do that. So yeah, I, I yeah, yeah, it's hard to say, and like they have a lot of time to figure it out, obviously. Um, you know, since we are nominally um, or supposed to be a movie podcast, first and foremost, are there big recasts of actors from film that we can think of as sort of like a good model, like that worked really well? My mind sort of goes to Dumbledore. I feel like that mostly was another fine. sad, sad moment to be talking about that. That recast. Oh, it's true. Because now that's that, Michael yeah, Gambon. Was, but that's, that's where right. my mind went too, because he was phenomenal in that part. And, uh, I will say much better. I'll do respect much better than Richard Harris, who uh, didn't get the twinkle, but Michael Gambon got the twinkle of Dumbledore. Um, the, the other one that jumps to mind, even though it's a show I've actually never watched, but I have the people who love it really love it was the Spartacus show that I think was on stars or Cinemax or Showtime. And the star of that show, like I think very quickly got sick and died and was mm. you know, obviously uh, if you picture Spartacus was in shape, prime of his life, like was around like 30 years old and had some tragedy befall him. And they did like two or three more seasons with just somebody else. And, you know, there's always that discussion of, ah, didn't quite capture the same thing. Or actually I liked you know, his version had more nuance. You know, there's debate about it, but you know, it is something that's happened. I think that it's just really tough here because, you know, across the board, whatever people's reactions were, I think, to this show, everyone loved Balin. Uh, and everyone was, like, intrigued by what the, the promise of what he was doing. And I again, I do think it was Stevenson's performance that drove it mm. more than anything else. So, you know, there's there's qualities that he has that I'm sure other actors could attempt to emulate. But are they going to be able to get that, that essence uh, in, especially when they have the sort of more difficult task of concretizing these abstract concepts that Stevenson got to muse on in the role, when suddenly it's just sort of like, it's not just, I'm searching for a power. It's like, this power is this person, like, or this God that's over here, which already might bump, you know, people would bite like, like, I don't mm-hmm. know about that. Um, and then to have that, you know, it's, it's going to be a tough task and, uh, I don't know who will be willing to do it or who right. will be. Right. I don't but- envy whoever does step into that role if they mm. do a cast for sure. Cause they're just going to get a lot of like, well, you're not as good, right. No matter what, no matter how good they are. Um, I think, but as, like, as a counter example, I would say the alternative is black Panther, right. With the loss of Chad, Chadwick Boseman. And I'd say that like the refusal to recast is very respectful and I totally understand it. But now that I've seen Wakanda forever, I'm like, maybe 
maybe we should have just been cast Chadwick Boseman <laughs> because like because it's the loss of the loss of the character how much greater is the loss of the character versus preserve, preserving the actor's sort of stake in that character and I feel like if the if the actor elevated the character that much don't we want to see that character move carry on in some way yeah. right so um and I wouldn't have necessarily said that before Wakanda Forever came out. And I liked Wakanda Forever as a movie a lot. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but I feel like the awkwardness of like, oh, trying to sort of force the mantle onto this other character that was never really intended to have it. it was Shuri, right? Like, I guess spoilers for Black Wakanda Forever. Sorry. Um, wow. Wow. <laughs> a movie that's been out for a really long time. So I don't, I don't feel wow. so bad about that. Um, but Almost but you, you know year. what I mean? Like, Almost. <laughs> and i and i i love the character of shuri but I like do i want Shuri to be black panther not be simply because we don't want to recast uh t'challa i don't know i don't know it's hard uh so. well it, and i'll throw out two more uh what came to mind when you asked the question about movies recasting i thought of the matrix with the oracle who was a fantastic part of that first movie and then the actress passed oh, yeah. away i believe between the second and the third now that mythology gave them a way to kind of hand wave it. And I think she says something like, I've been through a lot since we last met and, and my appearance sometimes changes. And um, <laughs> I, I, that's kind of almost my theory. Like you could kind of yada yada a way that it could work right. within this mythology or something. But that's true. It's a little harder than that. I mean, the matrix is, right. is good. That if way. he has some crazy um, life changing DNA, reorganizing doctor who S yeah, mystical experience and then comes out as another sure. actor. I'd be mostly um, okay with that, I guess. It'd be kind of hokey. But... So then I was also going to note, you brought up okay, Marvel. Okay, Star Wars? <laughs> <laughs> um, you brought Sorry. up Marvel. Don't forget um, uh, Rhodey, right? Uh, yeah. We went from Terrence... Uh, why am I forgetting his last Howard? name? Howard. Terrence Howard. Howard. Ter Terrence Howard <laughs> to, uh, to Don Cheadle and no explanation on it. Um, it's all kind of shady, whatever happened behind the scenes. It sounds like maybe he wanted more money, but seemed kind of reasonable, but maybe he was a jerk to work with. It, you know, they're kind of vague. Um, I think it was the one a negotiation that... fell apart is my understanding. Yeah. Uh, the one that stands out to me is um, I am also on a wheel of time podcast and about Two thirds of the way through the first season of Wheel of Time, um, the actors are going through a kind of portally thing, and one character is like a little behind, and they're like, "It's closing, go!" and he doesn't make it in. And I was confused because I was like, "That doesn't happen in the book. Why'd they leave Matt behind?" And my co-host said, "Oh, that actor quit during COVID, so he's just gone." Uh, and so uh, the the character disappeared for you know, a quarter of the season when the character would have been present in the books. And apparently mm. now that the second season is out, they just found a new guy who looks vaguely like him. So um, yeah, these things happen and it's, it's a shame in these circumstances, but um, you know, passing it all to Shin Hati feels a little like making Shuri black Panther in some regards. So finding right, a way to right. still let that character, because have she's so interesting in her own right. Right. Like, and I would, and I think mm. it works both ways. If we suddenly made her fill, fulfill whatever Balin's destiny was supposed to be, then her, that takes away from what her character was doing. And, and as we, we learned at the end of the season, they're both out for very different things. <laughs> Right? Mm, mm. so they're on different paths and so to suddenly swap them yeah would be really weird um 
but can we since we spent so much time about talking about ray stevenson and balin like can we pinpoint because i always do this with my students i'm like be more specific about why this is right so like why is he so good and why is balin so interesting i think i think he's so good the character is so good because he doesn't have the clear motivation or side, like the, the mystery I think really helped where it was like, from the very beginning, it was like, I'm here to rescue this bad guy, you know, the, the quote unquote bad guy of uh, Morgan Elsbeth, who's in a prison, who Ahsoka fought is aligned with Thrawn, et cetera, et cetera. If you've watched the Mandalorian, if you have this vested interest already in these characters, you already know, you know, this person's bad. Um, but then it's like, he's immediately like, I'm doing this for money. Like his, his first line almost is just like, you pay me enough. I'll do this. And, and whatever he's talking, it's just like, I'm actually after something else. There's power, but it's not the kind of power we're used to. And then I, I, you know, that's all super intriguing. Like you said, he's got the taunts whenever he's poking at someone, one of the good, uh, one of the, you know, our heroes, uh, or even you know, one of the people he's working with, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's those details of just kind of like, I don't know this guy. Like he's not, he's not the bad guy. Like the bad guys are usually the bad guys. The good guys, are usually the good guys. Maybe there's a big switch from one to the other, but there's not a lot of this sort of, I'm kind of off doing my own thing and maybe in like a different narrative conversation about what I want to do. And so I, I think that there is, uh, again, I, I sort of said this earlier, maybe I think there's a thirst for Star Wars to break out of the bonds of mm-hmm. what it has been. And I think that, uh, you know, that's one of the reasons people really loved Andor because it was, you know, the, the fact that one of the knocks on Andor was this could not be Star Wars. This could be anything else apart from a few bits of iconography. And, uh, you know, but people are like, no, that's good. I like that. I want that kind of a story. Uh, I don't want another Skywalker involved. I don't want to be in between the margins of, you know, what's happening here. And his whole thing was, I also want that. I also want to tell a story that isn't doing it. And, you know, it's speculation, um, but we're speculating irresponsibly on here. But, you know, I, I will I will note that one of the things people are saying is maybe all the stuff that Balin's doing in this other galaxy is stirring up what's going to become the narrative uh, uh, antagonist for the movies that are going to be set after the Skywalker saga. So when they do mm. a movie that brings back Daisy Ridley as Rey, that's going to be set 10 years or so after episode nine. Um, that it won't be episode 10. It's going to be, you know, not the Skywalker saga. It's, you know, this galaxy against another galaxy with whatever this thing is coming in. So he's striving towards a new Star Wars story. And I think yeah. that people responded to that. Which is interesting because I feel like going into the series, I thought Ahsoka could fill that role because she because her most famous line is, I am no Jedi, <laughs> right? But then in live action there seems to be either backtracking of that or reframing of that in some way. Um, I still don't really actually know what's going on with that. Right. Is like, did she change her mind? I think I've heard the explanation of like, this is the, this is the only life she knows. So she's sort of reverted back to it. And so that's why she's sort of like self-identifying as a Jedi or everyone else. But my theory was like, well, that's what everyone else is calling her. That doesn't necessarily mean that's what she would call herself, I guess. But there hasn't really been a moment where she's clearing that up. Um, So I don't know. But do do either of you have thoughts about that? Is like Ahsoka as Grey Jedi doesn't seem to be really panning out, but Balin's sort of taking on that role instead. What what I what I'll say to that is one, I, I do think Filoni is a student of Lucas, and I think that 
but I would guess that both of them are, are in alignment that the Jedi don't have to be the light side force. Like the light side of the force isn't just Jedi, but the light side is better than the dark side. So gray is actually not good. Like gray mm-hmm. isn't like, you know, it, gray sure. isn't some sort of compromise. Like gray is just on the path to being bad. And so, you know, there is sort of like a positive thing you can do or a negative thing you can do in a given context, and you should try to do the positive thing. So, you know, I I think that it matters. She's not a Jedi. I I don't, I think that the fact that the gray Jedi is an antagonist is an intentional choice uh, and an intriguing one. And again, part of the reason why folks are like, I want to know more about this. I'm intrigued. Uh, But I think ultimately it's not going to be, he's right, you know, that like, you know, we, we should maybe issue... Uh, some of the positive things. The, the, the answer is in between the two extremes. Um, we, you know, balance it up and divide it by two. Uh, I, you know, I, I will say in terms of the I am no Jedi, uh, I, the, one of the, the answers, not to sort of bring it all the way back around, one of my two answers to the, like, what's your favorite line? Um, and to reframe it around Greg's thing, I liked, I would choose the Ahsoka Huang uh, exchanges. And one of those was mm-hmm. when, you know, Huang is talking about like, you know, Sabine, like, not going to be a Jedi, can't do all this stuff. And Ahsoka says, I don't need her to be a Jedi. I need her to be herself. And that mm. like was to me the sort of only nod to mm. a clear understanding of like the Jedi is just like a, a you know, a, a card you get or like a little emblem you can put. It's a job. Uh, it's, it's not like who you are. And, uh, you know, being who you are and being yourself can still be embracing the force, embracing the light side, uh, but bringing in all the contradictory aspects of yourself, such as being a Mandalorian and being a Jedi. Uh, And for Ahsoka, it's being having lived her whole life training as a Jedi, but also having walked away from the Jedi. So she's both Jedi and not Jedi, which isn't the same as the quote unquote gray Jedi, which is more about light versus dark. I want to agree with all that and and build a little bit on it because um, I was really thinking about um, the arc that PT just described for Sabine, which I would say is the arc she went on, right? She decided for herself, I don't want to be a Jedi, I want to be myself. And I thought that was all affirmed in the final battles where um, Ahsoka was just like, Sabine, blasters, and she switches over and just does it. And it's like, that's who Ahsoka wants her to be. Yes, use the lightsaber, but use your blasters, like be yourself. You know, I don't think Ahsoka was present for the right. move where she pretended to do a force push, but then it was her wrist rockets. But it's like, yeah, that's what you should be. Like, be that, like, like take care of yourself. And that's the and, anti-Luke and Grogu stance, right? Yes. Because yes, Luke, Luke very, would be like either nice or. You can't, you have to uh, disavow one or the other. Sorry, go ahead. And I think Ahsoka's arc is to me the same thing. She is... I would say Ahsoka at the beginning of the series is, and I don't think this is in the text. This is me reading the context. She's afraid of the title Jedi, right? Like she wouldn't say I am a Jedi because she sees the legacy of the Jedi. It's it's very much Luke and last Jedi, right? The legacy of the Jedi is failure. And she sees that. And to, to PT's point from a long time ago of like, people didn't get her arc. There were people who were like, this performance sucks. It's like, they were making very specific choices at the beginning of this where she was not being herself. She was being a reserved and standoffish because she was afraid. And I think that fear is failure with uh, Sabine, right? That she thought she almost raised a Sith, you know, five years ago or so and, and stopped herself from doing that. And it's fear of the fact that 
the most influential figure in her life became effing space Hitler. Right. And like, yeah, maybe let's <laughs> slow our roll and identify what went wrong there so we can think about it. Um, and I think that, worked so well in this series and um it, it i didn't pick this one i don't know if it was on your list but like whose arc was your favorite mine was ahsoka i i liked a lot of the the characters and i liked a lot of what we saw but like the people out there being like this was dumb it didn't teach us anything about ahsoka like weren't paying attention to the text because this was a story about looking at yourself ridding yourself of the kind of legacy and the shadow of failure and your masters and all of that and just affirming yourself for who you are and being yourself and doing it, choosing for yourself what matters to you. You know what matters to me? My master always had my back and I've got your back from now on. That's a huge affirmation in the finale. And people are like, well, well the spaceship was moving kind of slow. So that conversation was kind of dumb. Like I thought they were supposed to be rushing. And it's like, just like forget all that silly nonsense and look at these beautiful character bits we're getting. Cause I, I think that's where the power of the show really was for me. And so. our, to- our toxic normie discourse returns to the podcast. <laughs> no, this, uh, no, I want to make it very clear. This is toxic nerd discourse. This, this okay. is hardcore nerds who are being toxic about it. And that's I'll, fair. I'll just add to Greg's point, uh, a callback to it, my earlier point, uh, which is th- I think that a lot of what you're saying, Greg came through in, uh, in conjunction with some of the fan service moments. And I think that because people were writing off the fan service or were writing off those sort of callbacks, especially her dynamic with Anakin as just fan service, they missed it and they didn't see what was happening. Uh, well, it's also, also like, if you think about it, the arc that Greg is describing, which I'm so happy to hear that because a lot of the, for one, I'm, when I was writing my reviews throughout the season, I was like, am I the only one who sees this? <laughs> like, um, or like, is this just me reading too much into it? Cause I love the character so much or whatever it is. And I feel like a lot of the arc you're talking about understanding the arc hinges on that episode five and episode five is the most surreal and kind of weird in terms of especially in terms of the editing people are still actually arguing mm. about where they the characters were right whether or not they were actually in the world between worlds or if it was like some fever dream that ahsoka had while she was drowning right so i feel like because so much of that episode is like not concrete and kind of easy to wrap your head around i think that's probably where the divide goes because if you don't buy into what's happening in that episode and why we are seeing the things that we're seeing in that episode i feel like the arc probably feels incomplete because you didn't understand what the pivot point was. Yeah, I, I will say to to bring it to normie discourse uh, and maybe normie reactions is, uh, you know, I talked to uh, some friends who have only watched live action. They don't watch the animated stuff. So they've only seen Ahsoka in The Mandalorian and The Book of Boba Fett. And they were a little bit like, I, you know, she was cool. I don't know why I was supposed to root for her, like during the course of this, like, cool. Like all of this was fine. Like it clearly it was designed for me to do that, but I wasn't really emotionally invested just because, you know, I was only emotionally invested because she's clearly the hero and the main character and, you know, fighting for everyone else, blah, blah, blah. But like, I wasn't, I didn't particularly care about her uh, as, uh, as a character or Ezra um, was the other, like they kind of saw, saw like Sabine as the person that was like the most sort of clear cut protagonist to, to glom onto. Uh, and you know, that's a potential, again, we're, I'm getting ahead of myself on the, on the, the, the sheet, but you know, that's a potential just fatal flaw of this show. If, you know, d- d- should it be able to stand on its own? Uh, and, and it, you know, is it possible that people could 
glom onto all of this without the foreknowledge of of what came before. Uh, PT's that- wrong about everything there. Uh, mm, not really, but I, I want to not always start my comments with like, yes, PT is wise, so I have to continue. But uh, <laughs> essentially, yes, PT is wise, so I want to continue. Here's what I would say about that. Um, people have been trained on 40 years of Star Wars to say, look at the young characters starting out their journey and becoming great. And that is why I think so many of us latched onto Sabine, because what has almost every, I mean, each of the trilogies, all of these hinge on somebody getting the call to adventure and starting. And that's the Sabine arc in this episode. But I think there's a reason the show's called Ahsoka and not just like Sabine Happy Jedi Hour, right? And to me, this is a new kind of Star Wars and it's Star Wars meditating on being the mentor, being that side of this important dyad that, oh, sorry, I shouldn't say that. Uh, this important uh, <laughs> pairing that happens. Uh, you know, uh, I go word, back. Greg. Yeah. I go back to before the season began, they put out a little clip that was called like masters and apprentices and talked about all the pairs. And the line I picked at the beginning um, was because I I did want to give Hu Yang a shout out, but that's the thesis of the show to me, right? Like the relationship between a teacher and a student is as uh, challenging as it is meaningful. Like that's my daily life, right? I love my job and I love what I do, but it's not a walk in the park and it's not easy to reach all students and i you know i see a direct connection between dave filoni on the set of last jedi watching ryan johnson thinking about ryan johnson's script and what he's trying to do here and putting that together and so my other favorite moment in the series might be like when ahsoka in episode seven is training and at the very end she just says with like this heavy sigh like "Ah, he was a good master and it's like she had never been able to say that to herself. And that's a revelation. And it's what frees her to say, I'm just going to be a good master. And that's, I mean, that's all we can do, right? That's that's all I can do in my daily job. Do my best to be the teacher my students need. And, and I'll call it that. But, um, you know, I think that is not a story Star Wars has told before. And that makes me excited. And I know we're going to tackle this question. So I'll let Jen segue to any one of the like five bits of content we've planned that we've now referenced obliquely. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, I guess are we ready to go to the rhetorical situation? All right. So because we're we've already been talking about this whole time. So <laughs> Jen, more- heavy sigh. All right. <laughs> be, be the mentor well, PT and I need. <laughs> I did well, so I did. <laughs> as as peek behind the curtain listeners i did in our original structure of this episode i had written maybe we should start with the rhetorical situation since so much of the discourse around the show kind of connects to it and then i was like but maybe we should be positive and <laughs> right and then uh and so we switched it up so now it's like we i think i think I, my original instinct was correct and we should yeah. just put it out there at the, at the get-go and then and then filtered in I appreciate that you think, but I appreciate that you think the hour and four minute mark is not still the beginning of the episode. <laughs> oh, that's true. Um, it's only like Balen says it's it's only the beginning, right? Or like I, I got that wrong, but he says something about the beginning. He has a big mm-hmm. a big moment where he talks about we're looking for the beginning. Um, 
All right. So now we're going to move to the rhetorical situation, a segment in which we look at, in this case, a television series through the lens of our academic experience. I looked up too soon and I just see you conducting. <laughs> I think that's first. Uh, so in the teaching of writing, the rhetorical situation, it's not our phrase, it's a pre-existing one, refers to any contextual factors that influence composing and interpretation. And I feel like that's all we've been talking about this episode so far is all these sort of contextual factors that are kind of playing into people's reactions and how they're receiving the show. So my question kind of to get us started is how are people's definitions of what Star Wars is? Because this is a great question that Greg brought up of like, what's the sort of sweet spot between something new, but also how 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 new can something be with but all while still also being Star Wars? How does people's different definitions of Star Wars and kind of their values that they see in the Star Wars franchise, how does that sort of change the way they're reacting and engaging with the show? Do you think? Um, so I originally asked this question uh, on a podcast. I was a guest star on, uh, I think the week before rogue one. And so I want to put that context out there. Cause it was like, we were about to get a spinoff movie and we had some clues by then. We'd certainly seen a lot of trailers, but didn't really know. And kind of the core question became, like, if you're taking a story out of the Star Wars saga, what does it still need to count as Star Wars? And it's so interesting to me now that we've stretched that, like, incredibly far. And I think where discourse kind of starts getting into fights is when something is too new or too different for someone's taste versus still within it. Um, I'm going to give my personal definition. And I think think this works but we'll see i have become somebody in maybe the last five to ten years where that's a little much maybe the last five years where i want to be challenged by my art if i go see a movie or i watch a show which i do from time to time not all that often or read a book i just can't anymore handle the hey remember this here's this. And it just becomes really bitter in my mouth. Now that kind of sweet fan servicey things. And I did not feel that often in this show. I think PT nailed it earlier when some people say that's what these rebels characters were, but that's not what these rebels characters were. Um, to me, that's, that's when somebody says a line the exact same way. And, you know, um, there, there's a lot of star Wars fandom. That's like, I can point to that thing and say, that's, that's a thing. So one of my very good Star Wars friends hated Andor uh, and I could not have loved Andor more. And it's like I needed everything about Andor was exactly what I needed Star Wars to be. It was just this little bit of familiar, just this context that mattered to me. And yet it told something so much bigger than Star Wars. And it was so important to me that all of that could come together and tell this incredible story. And that same friend is like through the moon excited about Ahsoka compared to me, I think because it's like, oh, this like takes me back to my childhood and it gives me that feeling of wonder and amazement. And and I, I even though expressing it from my point of view necessarily biases it towards me, but I really think that there's like a genuine way in which both of those reactions are what Star Wars fans demand. And we're all kind of sliding between those scales. So... Star Wars will always need to have something that lets you be like, yes, that's what made me happy when I was 10 years old. 
but I think it's only going to survive the more it pushes that definition outward and continues to challenge us. And, you know, I, it's clear I loved Last Jedi. That's that's my jam of the Disney era. And it challenged the heck out of me. I didn't leave that theater being like, this was the best. Like, it took me a week of processing it and really thinking about it and like eight screenings that week uh, to figure out what my feelings really were. And then I came to appreciate kind of all it was doing. So, so that's my answer. If Star Wars is going to continue, it has to challenge us if, if it doesn't kind of scratch that nostalgia itch though i think that's where it runs into some trouble greg did the a-list exist the program when uh, the last jedi came out or did you pay individually for each of those eight screenings <laughs> uh i think i think i paid for that rise of skywalker i think is my earliest of course you did yeah i mean as you should have Uh, this is a pro last (laughs) that hasn't become clear uh yeah this uh that that's an amazing answer uh and i I will add on to that before i guess what i was wanted to say in in, to to jen's question um I'll, i'll add on that i i do think world events particularly national events uh, in the last uh, half decade plus have really kind of changed the like what nostalgia means and how nostalgia hits uh, in and and part of that is just that you know we started getting about a decade ago a lot of the like remember the 80s like this thing from the 80s like what about that and it's just like yes I, I did grow up in the 80s what a great point um, that is really good <laughs> I did like all of those things. Uh, and, you know, inevitably just the, the you know, it, the impact gets lower and lower, uh, the more, uh, the more hits you take, um, the less high you're going to get. So, uh, so that happens. And then there's also this sort of, oh, looking back to a better time, like doesn't feel so fun anymore. Um, and uh, I think that that's, you know, that is something that has, I think, created a similar drive as Greg's where it's like, if it's just like, check out this, remember this, wasn't this fun? Let's do it again. Uh, you know, I I can get sucked up into it and I can like it, but I'm not going to think about it again and I'm not going to really want to go back to it. Um, so, you know, I, I think that there's uh, there's something around the, the 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 curse of what like what Star Wars is and where where it exists right now, where I, I think as we sort of been talking about, I do think there were ways in which this show was pushing into like, what other stories could we tell? I think you know, there are people who have negative reaction to it who are like, I don't want zombies. Like zombies is not <laughs> like, that, the, 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 you know, this is, ghosts were fine, right. zombies are weird. That doesn't fit into Star Wars. And, and you know, if we're getting, you know, the, in, the hint at the end of the season, the, the uh, uh, parallel to the Darksaber at the end of Mandalorian season one, which was planting a seed that we're going to have to care about this thing for a few years, in that show, uh, where the Mortis gods, like the people who don't watch the animated shows are going to be like, what is happening? So like, it's going <laughs> to get weird. It's pushing that expansion, but because there's so much star Wars that exists and because the way that Dave Filoni approaches this is I want to push, I want to expand, but whenever I'm like, Oh, I want to go and do something. Why don't I tie it into a thing from a book or a thing, you know, now at this point, a thing from one of my earlier shows, there becomes this feeling that even when it is pushing and doing something different, it's just more star Wars because it's like, yeah, we're going to have weird force gods that like, who knows what Balin is going to try to do with them, but it's also just a thing from the clone wars. And I think that, 
the people who are tuned in enough to be aware that like there's things that are being referenced uh, and it's from something else, like get a little blocked on like, well, this is just a thing from something else and I don't know what it means. I always think back to the original Star Wars movie, uh, all the ways in which this like history was hinted at. And I think everybody loves it. Like everybody loves that that was so rich and that connected people where, you know, Obi-Wan said, old Ben Kenobi, excuse me, is like, I fought with your father in the Clone Wars. And it's like, what the hell were the Clone Wars? Like, we don't know. Uh, And and the scene around the, the, the conference room, uh, on the Death Star, and it's like, well, the Imperial Senate won't stand for this. And then the character comes in and goes, the Imperial Senate's not our concern. It just got dismantled. Uh, and, you know, it's like, oh, wow, what was the Imperial Senate? Like, what was that? And, you know, now we can picture the Imperial Senate. Now we've got seven seasons in a movie and a, a decanonized miniseries, plus comic books <laughs> or whatever, all about the Clone Wars. So, like, you know, we know what these things are now. And so what, you know, what I think can be could be read as just like, ah, that's a thing that existed in this wider world. You know, and this is a blessing and a curse of how Filoni does this. It, it, you know, it ends up feeling like, well, this is just referencing, you know, something else. And so, uh, you know, I want to, uh, I want to bring in, where did I put it? I put it on this document to sort of add to this. Um, uh, there's a, 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 I think one of the best, uh, even though I strongly disagree with him here, um, cultural and political critics uh, who has a regular op-ed in the New York Times and is a, a, a podcaster and writer in his own right, Jamel Bowie, uh, who um, had spent part of his weekend on threads just talking about how much he didn't like Ahsoka. Uh, <laughs> and when he wasn't talking uh, d- talking about how much he didn't like term limits uh, and uh, there was some other thing. It was like, these, these are three very disparate things that he was getting into. <laughs> this was one of them. And so uh, sort of his, his initial kind of launch on this was the basic problem, I'm quoting him here, the basic problem with most of the recent Star Wars output with Andor as a notable exception is that it feels as if it were written by people whose only reference point was other Star Wars material. It's not using Star Wars as a setting to riff on other genres and ideas. It is Star Wars as a genre on its own. And truth be told, that is incredibly boring. And the way we've talked about it, and if you go and read Jen's reviews, which you should, uh, uh, you know, and she's referenced it, I mean, this is Tolkien, this is Lewis, this is Miyazaki, this is Kurosawa. There's all these references that are clearly in there, but I think that if you watch it and you're like, I know this is all referencing some other Star Wars show, you are like writing off all of it because you're just mm. like, I don't know. Like, yeah, I guess that's all animated BS. I, I think a, a great example of that is how people reacted to the history of Ahsoka and Sabine and her family getting wiped out on Mandalore. Cause I think most people assumed that was something that appeared in another thing. Mm. And a bunch of the people who knew that the, like, no, I've never heard about that either. <laughs> right. Um, so I think there is something to be said for like, if we are primed for, and I really love blaming the MCU for things in my reviews, but I feel, I do really feel like, we have as 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 viewers and and fans of genre storytelling we are now so primed to be like well this must be referencing someone else something else this must be connecting to something else we're just like assuming that's always happening and just we are in different people are in different levels of in the know about it that then we we i think are much more likely to write off something that is actually just part of this it's telling us the story as we go and yeah, so that's a problem because I think a lot of great shows and or I think would be one of them has so much storytelling in passing, right? Like it's like we learn things about the characters mm. 
as they're talking to each other about something else. Right. And, and I feel like if we can't do that anymore, cause everyone's going to be like, well, this must be from something else. Cause I don't understand it. And then like not really pay attention to it because of that. That's a big problem for everyone. And, and I think I'm not going to read his whole quote. Sorry. He, he got enough uh, airtime on our podcast, but I had another buoy quote later, uh, which was about this sort of idea that like, you know, these the audiences are now trained to accumulate the lore instead of, follows narratives and stories and think about characters. Um, and you know, his argument was, so there were no narratives and there was no story and the characters were meaningless in this because it was just a lore delivery device across eight episodes. And I, I don't agree about the show, but I do think that he's right. And, and, you know, is, is echoing Jen's point that there are people who just sort of fill out their wiki pages in their minds when they watch something where they're like, oh, yes, now we know, like that character actually did this. And at this time, this is where this person was. Now I know what the timeline is. That's good. It's, it's good. And now, oh, I see the hint of what's going to come later. Excellent. Like, I'll start a stub for the next entry for this other story. And we'll get to that later. And you can miss this, you know, the narrative uh, character, the richness of an actual story. But I think that, like, you know, in the way that those people are missing the story, there's also people who wanted the story who missed it because they lost it in the fog of references and and lore. That you know, I, if you were if you were watching, this was not connected to Star Wars and you watch this story, I think a lot more people would have got the through lines because they wouldn't be thinking about what came before. If it was more like 1977, not even A New Hope yet, Star Wars, then you would just be like, yeah, I guess that lady, uh, her family died. Okay, now I know that. Um, That must be why she was acting so mean earlier. And they wouldn't think like, oh, I got to watch five seasons of a cartoon to know this. So yeah, I don't know how Star Wars gets around it. And I don't know how Filoni in particular gets around it when that's sort of his MO, maybe it's just a curse that he can't, I keep using blessing and curse, but maybe that's just a, you know, a, a, an anchor that's going to weigh him down with the way do he tells you, Do you feel like this series is, and obviously we, we you know, it's dangerous to speculate about, uh, in general, speculation is great for me, but in, it's dangerous to speculate about an author's intent, of course, right? So that, that's, that's an asterisk next to what I'm about to say. But do we feel like this series is a product of Filoni being like, I don't care about that anymore. I'm just going to tell the story I want to tell. Or is it the opposite? Because I genuinely am undecided. Like, Or is it the opposite where it's like, we're going to try to please lots of different types of audiences so everyone can kind of engage with this differently. Like I have the 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 throwbacks in here and I'm reusing things from other stories like rebels. We're continuing in the plot line of rebels, but that, but we also need to make this show so that people who haven't watched all that can still enjoy it. Or is it more like, he's just like, you know what? Like this is the story I want to tell. If you're along for the ride, if you feel confused, go watch, go watch those other shows. You know what I mean? Like I can't, I genuinely can't tell what this series tells us about the approach. Uh, bringing up authorial intent in the rhetorical situation. Look at that. Uh, very nicely done. Uh, <laughs> um, it's a really good question. I what was I was thinking about? My mind was still on Harry Potter, and there was a certain point, maybe the sixth movie, where they were like, "Let's stop pretending we're bringing along new fans of this, and let's just talk to like people who know these movies and have read these books," because it's just too complicated to do that. Um, and I I feel like in some ways. Filoni has crossed that line here 
But what's nagging at me is, uh, you know, uh, I was out hanging with my bros at a strip club. I mean, I was around the D&D table uh, with my nerd friends and we were talking about this. And there's uh, a woman uh, very uh, it's a, it's an academics uh, D&D group. And there's a woman who uh, is a psychology professor and would not count herself in the Legion of Star Wars fans. She was the only one of us watching this show and having not seen the cartoons. And she was more enthusiastic than the rest of us. So every pronouncement I want to say where like, oh, this is only talking to nerds. I think of Lindsay is her name. And I was like, Lindsay would like be kicking my ass right now and saying like, no way, dude, like this, this was so good for me. And it was very much the opposite. And in in particular, in that regard, Thrawn, Thrawn had a lot of baggage for me showing up and Thrawn had the rest of the Star Wars nerds around the tables like, you just wait, like this is going to be awesome. And, and Steph, who's in the D&D group too, is just like the biggest Thrawn fan in the world. And like Lindsay's just like, okay, I'll learn about this guy. Seems seems cool. Like, let's see what he's about. And had no expectations and just loved it all the more. So um I I dodged a lot of that question, but I think I don't think Dave thinks about Star Wars fans barely, like nearly as much as we all think he does. I think Dave is a storyteller and he's going to work hard to tell a good story. And I'm going to bridge that into my other answer to the question of how far can Star Wars push it? Here's what I think Dave Filoni learned from George Lucas. George Lucas found Star Wars as a way to take a myth and tell some truths to the children of this generation that needed to hear it. Remember 1977, everything is a mess. The sides are unclear. Vietnam has ruined everything about any kind of cohesive story. And he said, look, we got good guys. We call them light side. We've got bad guys. We call them dark side. Let's make it simplistic. Let's tell simple stories. That was what the children of 1977 through 1983 needed. And then when he came back in the 90s, he's like, hey, Guess what? Society could very easily turn uh, to fascism. Uh, spoiler, he was right. Uh, <laughs> and so why don't I tell you a myth about how heroes become fascists? And let's talk about how that happens. Here's a totally different myth that the children need right now. And I think Dave Filoni's main goal is to tell us myths that we need right now. And we need to understand the relationship between teachers and students. We need to understand this cycle of violence that Balin wants to break, right? And so to me, if, if Star Wars is going to be effective, all the bells and whistles, yeah, I want to see a TIE fighter. Yeah, I want to see a lightsaber. I want to see all these things. But like, if you're not telling me a myth that speaks to what this new generation needs, then get out of my Star Wars, right? And and I think the sequel trilogy struggled in that regard because I think some parts of the sequel trilogy felt like it was what Jamel Bowie was describing, which is people saying, you like Star Wars? Here's some Star Wars in your Star Wars. And it just didn't always <laughs> kind of cohere and didn't have something to say. The Last Jedi being the notable exception. So... <laughs> I think if we think about the all the New Republic threads, which I feel like got the least attention or seem like they are the mm. least exciting or important, if you if you read other people's reviews and stuff like that, um, even among people who really like the show, but that is a, a narrative about complacency, and I guess I would mm -hmm. pair that with Marva's speech at the end of Andor too, right? Of like of like this happens because we're all asleep and we're all like in denial about what's happening. 
Um, and so I feel like that's very apt in terms of like the way people approach doom scrolling and stuff like that today. You know what I mean? Like, um, so I really like that idea that it's like speaking, speaking to the now. Um, and also like, there, yeah, now, now that you said that I'm thinking, I can see so many different things that could possibly fulfill that role, which is amazing. So I guess let's, uh, let's pause and drop in Marva's speech. Yeah. Oh, that was that was really excellent. That was oh so good. That was so Moving. good. Uh, just hearing it again. The, got it. I can't believe you found the edit with the f bomb still in there. That was great. I'm glad you uncovered that. One. Is, this, is this a spot where I can? I want to riff just slightly on the New Republic like scenes. I'll go for it. So this is outside of all of the things that we're talking about. Of like, but like a, a, a critique of, of, of a question I have outside of the narrative for uh, both the last season of the Mandalorian and this, which, you know, they were developed separately, I know, but, you know, or, or conjunction in the same kind of story universe. Uh, is it bad to have this like recurring underlying theme of, you know, the, the democracy actually is just as bad as the fascist uh, <laughs> empire. Um, in, in again, the, the year of our maker, 2023, um, I, I don't think that they mean for it to be that. I think it's more like, well, we know the new Republic has to do, make a bunch of mistakes because we've already made these movies that say that they do. Uh, and so they're, you know, just trying to build it up and make it better. But I'm, I do not like that. A lot of people are just like, you know what? I think the new Republic is worse than the empire. Like I actually hate them because they're, they're complacent and they're doing it wrong. And like, I don't think that they're misinterpreting the story. I don't think this is an intentional thing, but there's something very awkward about like, yeah, maybe we shouldn't have this like popular narrative when we're talking about the myths we need be that like, eh, I guess the democracy kind of sucked. We, we could get rid of that. Um, <laughs> that was, th th this could be bad. Um, related uh, one, I, I, I tried to slide a question in. It, it didn't really fit and I'm glad that we moved on. But my sort of like, what are, what are your hot takes within the story that are not part of the discourse? but I do want to put it in here now anyway. Um, is Senator Ziono wrong? Like, is he actually wrong? Like, he's clearly like an antagonist. We don't like him because he's in the way of uh, uh, of our heroes. And people are like, he might be working with Thrawn or he's working with the Remnants or he's, you know, he's part of the First Order maybe. Um, and if you haven't watched Resistance, you don't know, he's just a big old jerk. Uh, and he doesn't have any... Uh, he has no like uh, ill political intent. He just is a bad person uh, who doesn't know how to like handle power. But like, I don't, you know, there's a, there's a general who goes off and like gets people killed, uh, disobeying direct orders. I don't think civilian oversight's a bad thing uh, for our military. <laughs> and maybe you know, we shouldn't necessarily jump so quickly to just because he hates droids and is a jerk. Uh, he's wrong in this situation even if I love Hera and I, I think that Hera was doing the right thing in the end. I just don't know if Siono was ultimately wrong. That's my hot take. <laughs> now I'm like, does so Hera what, represent American exceptionalism? He's uh, <laughs> the whole Hera, thing. I, it, it, it did. It did affect me. It did affect me that I went to see a screening of Dr. Strangelove while the show was airing. And I was like, <laughs> what's the difference between general Ripper and Hera in, in, in from the perspective <laughs> oh, no. of, from the perspective of Senator Ziono, and I don't know what the answer is. I mean, I think the answer is because she's actually right. Sure. I think mm -hmm. I think it changes if if the Thrawn is not actually a threat, right? You know what I mean? Like, which is hard. To, I don't know. It's hard, but submit to military but rule and get rid of democracy. I get it. Okay, this is Star Wars. <laughs> is great. No.
sorry, it's not all that different from Poe in Last Jedi, really, right? Like Poe was true. wrong. Poe's long shot plan didn't work, so we ignore that. But I mean, I Hera's in the exact same spot. I think it's really bumping up against can a rebellion continue to be a rebellion after it's no longer quote unquote necessary? Mm. And I feel like that's a lot of the conflict in the show is that everyone's like, oh, like you're living in the past, Hera. Like the the war is over, but it's not. <laughs> so it's like, um, I do think it's interesting. And I do think that, that a lot of Hera's storyline in the series is that idea of like what it's sort of like, um, this is going to be a really weird reference, but in White Christmas, one of the big songs in White Christmas is what do you do with the general when he stops being a general? And I feel like that's sort of what this is, except again, like, except at the end of the day, she is right. So it's like, so dear Jamel Bowie of the New York Times, if you think there's no references to anything else, White Christmas <laughs> implanted in Ahsoka. Uh, yeah, I, I, I will say I'll try, try to pull us out of this tangent that I uh, that I created and get us back onto the, the document. No, no I wait, wait. That- I want in. I want in. I want in on okay. the tangent. Don't close the tangent. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, be- before his sins in the What is the Scuttlebutt song, Lin-Manuel Miranda taught us winning is easy, young man. Governing's harder. Oh, right? right, right. And I think. Yeah. That's what they're going for. Democracy is messy. Now, PT is exactly right. Damn it. Why again? Uh, where, you know, the show is accidentally playing with fire here. Um, it The message has to be democracy is difficult, but worth it. And we haven't seen the worth it part yet. We haven't seen what freedom looks like on these, these planets. And that's that's troublesome. Um, I, I think of it as they are showing us that your um, that principles have and philosophy have to meet the practical at a certain point and the new republic is governing on the principles and um this might not be a nice thing to say it reminds me of um occupy wall street where it was like here's a great idea let's talk truth to power let's talk about these these uh businesses and how awful it is oh but wait like we can't have anybody with a megaphone so we're gonna have everybody have equal floor time which means the 200 people who want to talk each get six seconds to make their and it was like yes like the principle of equality and absolute fairness is so admirable but like you also just need somebody to talk in a megaphone or what, what, whatever it is. So I feel like the new Republic is so great right now. Mon Mothma, let's get rid of the navies. These, this is intertextual. It's not in the show. Let's get rid of the navies. Let's not have a single figure who can be chancellor. Let's not do all this, but it's going to take some practical bits. All right. Now I, I've gotten in on the tangent. Close the tangent, PG, PT. Yeah, no, it's great because nothing that you did is going to stop me from, from making uh, this movement out, which is I think that part of the the issues that we're kind of bumping up against and I'm you know being a little glib in defending Z, uh, Senator Ziono, but this sort of how are they portraying the New Republic and what does that mean is somewhat boxed in by the fact that they the sequel trilogy exists and uh, one of the people who made the sequel trilogy, J.J. Abrams, was very against the idea of ever talking about politics in those movies because that was one of the big uh, knocks at the time uh, against the prequels was like, oh, my God, there were scenes about space politics. The Crawl talked about trade routes and taxation plans. Like, this is insane. We can't ever do that. And so we have these inevitabilities of the democracy fails, the new Republic fails uh, and, and doesn't get its big, uh, it doesn't understand the big nemesis that's out there or the big threat. And the people who are clinging to 
but even though the war's over, it's not really over, and actually I'm still fighting it, and, and we got to make sure to keep doing that, we're proven right. And so, you know, that's this sort of weird place that they're in. And so yeah, I think that you're right, Greg, which is, you know, the action has to be there. We have to execute these, these principles. And on some level, we know they never do. Or at least if they do, like maybe we'll see it and then that will make the destruction of the New Republic even more tragic. But, uh, you know, we, we're, we're sort of set up to, you know, see, oh, this is going to sort of rot from the inside or at least fall apart because of the negligence. It's all very... Weimar Republic, uh, you know, in uh, in between the two world wars of like, oh, we're going to be fine. Like, we'll figure this out. Like, this is going to be great. Uh, and then, you know, the, the the problems rise again from within. But, uh, you know, right now it's not 100% coming through because, you know, maybe it's because the heroes are inevitably rebellion and, and military based. And maybe there's just a part of me that's like, what if like the Senate was actually good now? What if they knew what they were doing? <laughs> like, could that happen? Uh, and that hasn't come through yet. But uh, but I don't know. We'll see. I, I believe in Mon Mothma. I, I I'd, also, I'd vote for her for another term. <laughs> I, I think this also speaks to a fundamental tension in modern cinema of we can espouse democracy as an ideology, but at the same time, all of our movies support rugged individualism, which is sort of like which which in American history are weirdly paired with each other, but also at odds with each other. And so I feel like. You know, I'm thinking about all our conversations about Mission Impossible, where it's like, you know, Ethan Hunt can act as like a rogue agent and it's fine. We support him, even though probably in our real world, he would be sanctioned and like put in jail <laughs> right, for the things that he does. So. So, yeah, I think that's sorry. I think I pulled this back into the tangent by accident. But um, but I feel like that that's not just a problem with Star Wars is my point. Um I what what I'll say is the way I thought that was getting us out of the tangent was thinking about the sort of problems of this show existing within an ever growing uh, and an ever more crowded timeline between episode one and episode nine and particularly between episode six and episode seven uh, after the original trilogy and, and before the new one where, I mean, we, there's 20, I think 25 years that we've not explored, maybe tw- you know, 20 to 25 years that haven't been documented yet, but still it's, there's a lot there. And I think that the reality of like, that I think people know going into this show, which is okay. There's been four seasons of TV already about this. Plus there's all these movies. Plus they've announced they're building up to another movie with another series first that comes in. And we don't know how many seasons skeleton crew will have. We don't know how many seasons Ahsoka will have. And John Favreau's like the Mandalorian will continue after the Filoni movie. I'll do it forever. And so <laughs> it's just like all of this, I think plays into how hard it is to sort of just try to enjoy and understand this story on its own because it exists in this wider context and because it does without, you know, there's no denying it is setting up like what's going to happen next season, next time on star Wars, like these things are going to happen. And so I, I do understand the people that, that watch it and are just sort of like, great. This is just like another middle part of a story that will never end. And I'm not satisfied by the fact that it's all just callbacks and and call forwards or, or foreshadowing for uh, for what may come later. So, yeah, that was a big question that I wanted to ask and potentially end with. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> um, what what does the series and where we end the series specifically, what does it tell us about 
what's what's next and what what sort of does it alter about our understanding about the future of star wars and so you know on this podcast before last time we had i think our star wars day episode we sort of checked in about like okay well these all these films have been announced like and then there's the mandoverse and we're working towards a movie what could that be right and we have another huge data entry point now with this series and so like you know in general we can kind of pick up on that question wherever we feel like we want to but where what does this tell us about the future of star wars uh, it's over. This is it. We're done. Check. Uh, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> uh, you know, I realized a long time ago, Star Wars is going to far outlive me. And there's no doubt about it kind of churning forever, I think, at this point. So um, I I think we just have to all acknowledge, uh, and I am not talking to the two of you. I'm talking to we, the, the Star Wars fan <laughs> community, that, like, it's going to keep growing. And some of it's going to be great and some of it's going to be bad and some will be your favorite and some will be not for you. And we just have to accept that you're no longer just a fan of all of it. I, I really had fun writing that blog post. Every time I saw it passed around by one of my buddies, somebody responded like, I guess it's good they said that, but like, I love it all. And, you know, I know a lot of us feel that way. We love Star Wars. We're like all in there, but it's like, you all have to be honest with yourselves and say there's some you like and some you don't like, right? Um, I have yet to meet or at the least guy some you with like Rise more. Yeah, 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 <laughs> exactly, right? Uh, so, um, the future of Star Wars, I think, between this show and what we've heard announced, it's gotta go far away to new places. Um, and, and including PT's comments just now that like it's boxed in by the sequel trilogy. So how much can really happen? Well, a lot could happen on this planet in another galaxy that just is irrelevant. And, and you know, I don't think we're gonna stay here forever, but it could happen, and it could just be that. Ahsoka and Sabine are out here now and and live a fantasy Lord of the Rings life and and see what happens. Um, and then the James Mangold movie, it's like let's go a really long time ago and and do that. Um, and uh, what was interesting is is they asked the question of how old is Hu Yang, and it would have been such an easy way to be like twenty five thousand years old. Right. I was turned on by Jedi blink block the Gleep Glorp and then on the planet Tython. And they didn't do that. So I think they are kind of keeping their powder dry to keep things really um, kind of separate. And I think that's the smart move. So let's let's put the Ray movie at one end of the timeline. Let's throw the Mangle movie way over there. Hey, this Hey Republic thing is working really well in publishing. Let's throw the Acolyte there, which is the project I'm most excited for and the one like nobody's talking about right now. Um, and it, it's just a function of where we're at in the cycle on that show. Um, I think Dave and John will continue to have kind of ownership, quote unquote, of the Return of the Jedi to... Um, to Force Awakens time period. And I think that's great. That's, that's yours. We'll kind of keep publishing out of here um, when the High Republic ends. You know, I, I think they'll see the success of it and they'll pick a different time period and say, let's go make 20 books at, at this time period. Um, and the comics are just now getting to Return of the Jedi. And so I think they'll take the five years from Return of the Jedi to Mando and they'll make a meal out of that for a really long time. Like there's so much story to tell there and so much good work comics could do to fill in how we go from Endor to Jakku and, and figure out the end of the war. Um, so 
all it's it's going to be everywhere on this timeline and to me that's the healthiest move i don't know if what yeah. i just said is what i really think should happen or what i'm saying um you know will happen but i think that's what what this franchise needs right now is just to get weird and i hate to say it but star trek did it really well the last few years like let's just go crazy and give everybody some of everything if there's not like one sequel trilogy that has to have all our hopes and dreams, then you can't hate all of star Wars at once. And then you buy theme park tickets and you buy, you know, action figures and so <laughs> on. Yeah. There's merch for everybody. There is. <laughs> I, I will, I will say to, to uh, one of the earlier uh, points of what, what Greg was just saying, but I think encapsulating a lot of what he was talking about, the idea of it helped to uh, read a bunch of the books and get involved in the comics wasn't because, oh, then you'll know who Thrawn is or you'll have followed the X-Wing squad and you would have picked up on Corrin Horn in the Obi-Wan show. It was to like be disappointed in bad Star Wars long before anything was released in the theaters or on TV that might disappoint you because you're just sort of like, oh, this book wasn't very good in like 1994 or 95 and be like, oh, I don't really like Kevin J. Anderson's approach to what Luke was doing. I'm I just, I'm not into it. And so, you know, that idea of having to let go of, I love all of Star Wars and just be like, okay, there's going to be some Star Wars I don't like in a way for me makes it easier to accept like, especially when it's something major, like a movie or a TV show, uh, except for the rise of Skywalker uh, as like, Oh, look at all the things that are good. And uh, there's, there's a lot of things that I actually do like about this. I can enjoy that even though I recognize uh, all the flaws. I think that they're, they're leaving it open so that the James Mangle movie could in theory connect with whatever's going to end up happening on Peridia but it doesn't have to. And so I, I like that idea. Cause, and, and I think what I would hope that they would settle on is that everything makes sense together, but it's not necessarily doing the direct referencing, right. Where it's not yeah. like, 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 I don't know if I want who Yang to show up in the James Mangold movie. <laughs> I mean, I'd be happy to see him in general, but I don't know. I don't know if I need that that level of like hey it's all part of the same thing you know um but to to sort of be able to draw a line from here's how the force began right here were the first jedi like drawing that line and being like well that makes sense if we could follow the timeline all the way over here right um and so i think yeah so i think it's exciting that it can all fit together like in one big puzzle but the puzzle pieces don't necessarily have to be like speaking directly to each other Mm -hmm. um did, does this change anything about what's going to happen with the Mandoverse movie? Because that, in theory, is the next big sort of like tentpole that we're working towards, right? I, I mean, they haven't really clarified what the, the order in which the movies would come out, but it always right. made the most sense that the Filoni movie would come out first unless they realize that, or there's an impact because there's been this delay because of the strikes that they're like, okay, we actually need another year or two to get the seasons out before the story that we're going to tell in the movie is ready to be told. We have an opening. Can we do one of the other stories first? But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, I, I agree with you, Jen, that I, I think it would be a problem. I, w- I think it would be bad for star Wars if it felt like, Oh, we're going back in time, 25,000 years, but it's the same enemies. Or, you know, right. the Lord's gods <laughs> are here. Who Yang is here. Everything that you could recognize is here. And, you know, I, I do think that, you know, one of the problems at a uh, 
I don't know, like, I don't want to say studio level because so many people are ready to just sort of personify Lucasfilm uh, as Kathleen Kennedy and therefore as evil. But I think that there is a sort of business side issue of what do people want from Star Wars? What's the iconography? What's going to get people in the theaters or subscribing to Disney Plus? And if they're, you know, historically, it's like we need stormtroopers, we need Darth Vader, we need lightsabers, we need spaceships, particularly these spaceships. And you know, like the now that we're in the Manover show, it's like we need the Mandalorian, we need Grogu, um, you know, we need this ship and that ship and maybe this person and Boba Fett for the people who grew up in the seventies and eighties. And you know, we'll do all of that. And you know, that could be cool and could be interesting. But as I think we're all saying, we want stories that aren't just those, the stories again. And so, yeah, I like the idea when Greg said, what if Ahsoka and Sabine are just forever or, or for decades in this other galaxy, having a fantasy story questing around Peridia. That sounds wonderful. That sounds amazing. Like I love that. Or they, they get their <laughs> ship fixed and they're going they're They're doing like a no man's sky uh, planet to planet exploration of just like mapping a whole new galaxy. Uh, you know, Star Trekking in its in its own way, like that would be amazing too. But like, I don't know if the budget is there for that show. Like, without a sort of promise of, and we're eventually going to get back to Luke Skywalker is going to show up at some point. Like, right. that's what like they think people want, and they you know they need that. And you know, there's a part of me that wants Luke Skywalker to show up in a Thrawn movie. Like, that would be amazing. But I also want these other random stories. So. Yeah, I don't know how it all, like, the, this sort of push-pull affects what we've got. I like that this show opened the door to a lot of yeah. other things. And I hope that the door doesn't just become another small playpen. That, like, oh, and, like, we have this new prettiest stuff. The prettiest stuff will now be in 10 other Star Wars properties over the course of the next four years. And it will just start to feel like a slightly bigger cage than the original trilogy cage, which became the original and prequel cage. And is now the prequels original and Mando cage, and you know I don't I want it to be out of the cage and out and doing different things. I feel like even if we don't get as much Mortis as we think we are going to get, the idea behind Mortis in the Clone Wars was, hey, wasn't that weird? We went to that weird place and then we came back, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, what happened? Were we dreaming? Like, what happened? And so did, I feel did like you die and come back to life. <laughs> so i feel like a lot of stuff could happen there like i think it's very smart actually that we set up another galaxy because a lot can happen there with very little consequence or ripple effect in the in galaxy prime right um we could even just completely destroy um pretty and it would be fine probably like as long as like you know ahsoka's not there when it happens but like you know what i mean like um anyway to the nodi I just oh, Ooh, oh that's wow. true. No, we take them with we no, they'd be like porgs. They get on the ship and they okay. go. Okay. Um they'd ride a purgle. That's uh, So for those pay that. paying attention, we have two shirts coming to the Long Take Review merch shop. That there's PT's Giono wasn't wrong uh design <laughs> and Jen's death to the Nodi uh image. Oh, so. no. It's getting no, dark. I, I don't I don't know that we're going to sell many. <laughs> there's and, a, and Greg yours is not my Star Wars. Like that's it. Like, not my Star Wars. Wars. Not my Star yeah. Wars. Yeah. But on the back it says like I swear I mean this in a positive way and I'm not a toxic person. <laughs> let's, but let's yeah. reappro- <laughs> let's reappropriate not my Star Wars. Um so I just realized I should have done this a lot earlier but I put out a poll on Instagram earlier today mm. saying that we were going to be recording an episode and I just wanted to do a round quick round lightning round of 
answer because there are only like four of them or five of them. So uh, Frank, Mr. Daffron says, I remain mm. curious about the relevance of orange lightsabers. And mm. uh, the Wampus Lair asked, what is Balin after? And I feel like those are two very related questions. So like, do we have theories? This is speculation, crazy zone. What or safe zone? What, what, like, what do you think we're going to continue? Regardless of what happens with Ray Stevenson's recasting or whatever. Like, what do we think, based on what we have right now, what do we think you're going to, we're going to continue to learn about Balin and Shin? And, and the whole pretty thing, like in the Mortis Gods, we can fold that all that in. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know is obviously the correct answer. Uh, but because but, we're doing irresponsible speculation is, uh, you know, the fact that the we the, the episode ended or, or the, the final sort of montage of things was Balin standing on the outstretched hand of a statue that we, as hardcore nerds knew, wa- uh, was the father uh, from the from the Mortis gods, uh, and uh, but I, I will I will uh, pull from the non uh, Clone Wars watching Jasmine who was like, oh, why is he on the, a statue of himself? Like, why is there a statue of him here? Is he immortal? Like, she had all these sort of things that were spitting out of like, oh, he's found that like he is coming back to some realm that he was in, and uh, uh, and that was interesting. I kind of feel like that is what he wants is to be. There's like the dark side, the light side is what's been fighting all along. He wants to be that power over them. He wants to be, and you know, the whole thing we've talked about, master and apprentice. We haven't quite made the the leap, but I think you know that that myth that Greg was talking about that we need is also the sort of generational handoffs and the sort of, you know, you come from this line of uh, Jedi, wacky Jedi that have gone off and done different things. It's the generation to generation. And that includes the generations, or at least the hint of the generation of the father and the son and daughter that I think he wants to take over the father of like, okay, I'm going to be, that's the power. I'm the ultimate like decider of what's going on. Y'all are just fighting back and forth. And this is a waste of everybody's time. All that's happening is people are getting hurt, but like, I don't want to be on one side or the other of that. I want to be the next level above. I want to be the like older generation that runs things. So I think that's what he's looking for. I don't know how that makes it orange apart from, I think it was supposed to be like, Oh, bad guy. Wait a minute. Are we sure? Right, um, right. And that it was just sort of like, <laughs> Not it, quite it was, red. It, yeah. yeah, it hadn't quite gotten red. And that, that gives a little pause of what exactly is going on with him. Um, Sorry, I wasn't really listening. I was mourning the fact that my question didn't make the cut for uh, this episode. I was going to ask um, that next. Which, which hurts. It cuts me deep. Uh, no, uh, um, I think PT largely covered it. I think they uh, couldn't do red because it would just have to mean Sith. And I have a lot of questions. The Kyber mythology seems to just come and go based on story convenience. And it bothers me a little bit. And House of R talked about this a lot this week, too. It's like, oh, so if we can build a whole plot around finding a Kyber, let's do that. But then if you just need one, it's just there. So the idea that red lightsabers come from bled Kyber is kind of interesting to me. It kind of tortured, like you have to feed your anger and aggression into a crystal. So orange might be on the path to that. But I think most importantly, orange just represented not Sith. Yeah. Um, Balin uh, breaking the wheel. I, I like P- PT's comments on that as well. Um, to be able to control the spinning of the galaxy in cer- certain ways and, and get behind that. Um, it does feel like there's um, no way that succeeds. And in some ways, you know, 
how I interpreted Mortis, and this is, again, as I said, one viewing like a decade ago, um, I interpreted it as confirmation that there was such a thing as bringing balance to the force and that it was thrown out of balance at that moment. And everything that happened in our galaxy, our galaxy prime, as Jen called it, um, was because of Mortis being broken. So to put Balin back in the realm of the father, that feels to me like getting the force back in balance. And then you run into sequel trilogy problems. And then you run into Anakin tells us in uh, The Rise of Skywalker, which really was the beginning of the Hayden Sons, technically, I guess. He came in and did a day's voiceover or 10 minutes of voiceover where he said, bring balance as I once did as one of the the voices that Ray hears while she's laying on the ground on Exegol. I just feel dirty saying these words. Uh, and so when, um, so I think canonically, and this is a whole other can of worms, that the galaxy was brought into balance by Anakin. So I suspect if Balin gets there, I don't know if that means the father has come back in some form or if Balin becomes the new father. And as somebody who's tinged with darkness as the father, it that's what slides it out of balance. And I don't feel bad rambling and saying all of that because these are the things Dave Filoni thinks about, even if yes. we don't. So, <laughs> Well, also in, in that Mortis arc in Clone Wars, the father is testing Anakin as the chosen one to dis- to see if he can take his place. Uh, so I feel like if that's an easy way to make Hayden a permanent fixture in the show and just not a, not just a force ghost that pops in every once in a while. Right. And actually be like, Oh wait, no, like you were looking for your master the whole time. <laughs> Here he is. He's <laughs> the father. Um, I don't, I don't, to, and I mean, I've been wrong before, but every time I come up with something like that, I'm like, but that's too weird. That's too deep. Yeah. That's People would too, but but Normies. at the same time, I don't know. We've I've been proven wrong before. Um, yeah. So Greg's question when I pulled this, and I was like, Greg, you're going to be on the podcast. Like, you don't need to send me the question. <laughs> I will note I the only reason the only reason I didn't send a question is because I was being you know master apprentice style conferencing with students all day before I had a meeting. <laughs> I never looked at Instagram, so I didn't even know this happened. But I That's would okay. have submitted a question. Like a also, like a yeah, for sure. I I okay. I tried to fit in first time caller, long time like <laughs> co-host, but it didn't fit nice. in the question box. Oh, it's okay. I mean, yeah, your question was pretty long. It's do you think the blade of Talzin is still there, or did it disappear when Morgan passed? And so I'll take the answer to this first because like this question kind of broke me because I assumed Ahsoka still had the the sword of Talzin, and I was like, oh, that's kind of cool and weird. Like, what is she gonna do with it? um because she's down a, she's she because to me during the their their fight she was down a lightsaber and then she gained the sword so i was like oh cool maybe she's just gonna be like half sort of tall and half lightsaber now that sounds great at least for a little while but then then this idea of it disappearing or being left there i was like well let me go back and i rewound the tape and i was like she's not holding it when she runs away and jumps off the cliff um so <laughs> I think because because uh, Mother Talzin's thing was that she could summon the sword at will, right? That was her whole with the the magic. So like, I feel like if it, it probably disappeared and then will get summoned by somebody else later. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I mean, I wonder if it even would have. I mean, I guess if Morgan had lived, she would be able to sort of keep it. But without 
Morgan alive when the Night Sisters left the galaxy? I I kind of feel like could it could it continue? Like the magic's gone. Like all the people who hold it, I, it could have just disappeared. But yeah, apparently that was not an important piece of information to show. Um, but maybe that's leaving it open ended. Where what if Felody's like maybe I want her to have the the blade of Talzin that could be in her little closet with the Anakin videos. <laughs> And the the training orbs it's just hanging uh, there. I I want to. We're we're still in irresponsible speculation territory. I'm going to jump back briefly. It isn't explained why Ezra can build a lightsaber, and it is kind of we're, we're hand waving away or trying to make a head cannon out of it. My take on it is there was like a moment in the scene where they were like Ahsoka was going to say, "When I left the world between worlds, and I went back to the place where I was fighting Vader, um, Malachor, right? Uh, the name of that planet." I picked up your old broken lightsaber mm. and I've had your kyber crystal. Here you go. It's presented ah, back. And then it was like, nice. this is going to make no sense to the people who haven't watched the animated shows. <laughs> what a crazy thing to try to explain. Let's just cut to him building the lightsaber. And we're just right. going to do that. Based on absolutely nothing. But that's my headcanon of what happened until I'm uh, told otherwise. I like it. To some of our earlier points, think of how we want to explain that and figure it out. Whereas like the end of Return of the Jedi, Luke throws away his lightsaber. It's so important, so meaningful. And then like it's just on his belt later. And we're like, cool, he's still yeah. got it. Don't worry about it. Right, right. And it's like we didn't need any answers back then. But now we need like, but tell me. Now everything exactly has to make sense. Yeah. How. Yeah. Um, All I want to add to the Blade of Talzin is hey, uh, Ahsoka fights with two lightsabers and she lost one of them. Wouldn't it be awesome if she now fought with a green fire sword? Too? Right? Yeah. That would 100%. be really awesome. I, that's all I want. So she might have she might have pocketed it. Like, I don't know. Like, yeah. It's, it's not visible put, when she's Put it in a leku. Like, she just kind of, like, had a little hidey yeah. space. Um, <laughs> or, this is really going off the deep end, but, and so we'll move on after this, but, or... Somehow during her time in Peridia, she learns how to use magic like Night Sisters, mm. but in like for good. And then she mm. can summon the sword again because she's held it or something. Think of how like annoyed people were that suddenly Sabine was training as a Jedi. And imagine that <laughs> transferred to suddenly Ahsoka can just learn to be a Night Sister. Uh, I do want to throw out. I was very against the idea of Sabine having the Force. I was like, great, she's training as a Jedi, but she doesn't have, she can't access the Force. That's really interesting. That's cool. Don't let her actually pull a thing by the end of the show until it was happening. And I was like, this is awesome. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> this is the closest we're going to get to Ray Nobody being canon again in its own like <laughs> twisted way. Anyone can use the Force. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, George. It's not like some weird eugenics thing that you have to have the right kind of blood. It, you just got to try real hard and you're able to access the universe or be us. or be uh about to die that's the other thing. sure yeah or so, face mortal threat or your friends face mortal threats back so, to jen's theory the secret of the finale title is that all three were ahsoka ahsoka oh, is the, Jedi, the witch what? and the warlord <laughs> yes oh, that's geez. what's coming <laughs> but ezra is still Ooh. jesus that's what's important <laughs> <laughs> oh that just I, I'm gonna have to think about that more later. That blew my mind. Um, okay, so um, the, another question is, and we only have two more. Uh, the, another question is from my friend Erica, uh, who, and she says, "This is a really good question. How would we feel about the finale if Filoni slash actor the actors could have done interviews throughout the series?" Oh, Oof. that's interesting. Is that a good question? It is. That's a very good question. My, my initial shooting from the hip reaction is 
the disappointment about wh- what happened with Balin and Shin would have been amped up 30 to 40%. Because there would have been a lot of like, we hope that we we did that. we did Ray the best. Like he's, his work was so strong. Mm-hmm. That would have been building all season. Everyone would have been like, oh my God, like what's going to happen? Oh. Like what's going to happen here? And then it still would have just been like, eh, they're there at the end, whatever. And folks would have been like, there would have been even more hype for what 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 was going to happen with Balin and Shin. Um, and not because they're trying to fake hype, but because they're trying to honor him and what, you know, his loss and what Mm -hmm. he had done. And I think that it would have made all of that even worse. Right. Also probably good that we didn't force the cast and crew to sort of parade their grief around on a press tour. Mm, Good point. Uh, I just, I assume there's a gallery episode coming. You know, they did release that little hint that they have, you know, lots of interviews with Rosario and some with Hayden. Like they, they were collecting the material as they went. So hopefully the gallery episode can rectify some of this. Um, but honoring the spirit of the question, but not actually answering it, it just makes me so sad. I, I support SAG after I want a good deal, but like, you know, Natasha's not a huge star who plays Sabine. Like, she deserves her victory lap of being out here and sharing these. And and I forget the name of the actress, forgive me, who plays um, Shin Hati, but, you know, hasn't had a lot of major roles. Mary Elizabeth Winstead has been around a lot, has been around the block. She was in a big DC project. She, uh, you know, has a kind husband to cry to when she's sad about it. Um, I don't feel as bad uh, to her, but, like, these characters, like... Rosario, I think, played it exactly right, which is every uh, Tuesday night, she put some beautifully political message up on her Instagram. And it was like, I know you're coming to look for this and look for what I (laughs) think about uh, Sabine or sorry, whatever the Ahsoka and whatever the episode happened. So it was like, I'll use that power to make you think about indigenous rights or make you think about creative communities. Um. I I only think things get better when Dave talks about them, though. So if Dave could have been out and about, I think he would have had some good explanations. But I also don't know that he would have talked during the show. He tends to mm, be pretty yeah. tight lipped. And so I think what we'll see in, in an eventual gallery or whatever they'll call it this time around, I think I think we'll get it. But but it might have helped a lot to have some of that goodwill kind of spread around. And also... Well, two things. One is next Star Wars celebration. I'm sure they'll have more than ample opportunity to kind of like talk about the work that they did and sort of give us all those sort of behind the scenes things that we would have gotten had they been sort of touring. But the other thing I think is they could have probably prepared us better, you know, with short of announcing that there's going to be a season two and when it's going to be, I feel like they probably could have, primed people for the lack of resolution for certain storylines right like like obviously that's complicated because of ray stevenson the ba- like balen story kind of hanging and not really like not giving us kind of enough information to go on for for next season but i feel like in terms of what the story was headed towards like commentary could have helped sort of pro- manage people's expectations i think a little bit without spoiling anything um but yeah, this is a, yeah, this is a great, great, an alternative history to kind of contemplate, I think. Um, and then finally, the Colby cast, Colby of the Colby cast asks, season two, when? Now, <laughs> right now. <laughs> come, come to, come on the show and just t- walk us through season two. Just give us, <laughs> give us the pitch. We'll record for a few hours. What's, what's your best guess 
right? Because we often on the show talk about the impact the writer strike is going to have on release dates and stuff like that. What what do you feel like is the 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 most likely at this point with the information we have the most likely time a season two would come out? We were walking through some of this on our text thread, trying to figure out exactly when things are happening. I think since then, there was a round of news stories about some copyright filings that suggest Skeleton Crew is looking like January now, having previously been December. So if Skeleton Crew is the start of 2024 and they want to always start and end a show about halfway through the subscription month on Disney+, Plus, I would think... I think it's going to be Skeleton Crew. Then I think it's going to be The Acolyte. Then I would say, this is wild speculation, Skeleton Crew, January to early March or February, somewhere in there. Uh, I would say The Acolyte over the summer. And I would say Mando 4 in the fall, because I suspect it was either mostly written or Favreau just went ahead and kept writing, uh, because it's just him alone (laughs) in a room. Uh, just, just like accusing him of being a scab with no evidence. Yeah, I was going to say, sorry, sorry, John Favreau. Um, and so I would say the earliest I would get excited for, I'm going to call Star Wars Day 2025. I bet that could be the start, which that pains me because that's pretty far away. And that's sort of the, the Obi-Wan Kenobi that's around when that pre- that premiered, right? It was yeah. May. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, like I'm going to say that might be too optimistic because I think e- even if John Favreau had written all of season, I mean, he had, didn't he had he said he'd written a bunch of season four even before season three the ended, strike. like before the uh, strike. Yeah. So, uh, but I feel like it takes two years from them from you know entering production to then getting that show up on the uh, on our screens. So yeah, I feel like that you know they're they're going to they're going to stretch out the skeleton crew and acolyte shows. I mean, they've got bad batch and they have uh, some other, like maybe another visions. And or two. I forgot as well. Yeah. The best show that we all like the most. Let's forget. <laughs> that. Um, but yeah. So I, you know, I, I think, I think that we're looking We're it's two years from now is the absolute earliest that Ahsoka could be. And honestly, I kind of feel like fall, 2025 is going to be Mando. Uh, and mm-hmm. then Ahsoka would be the following the following year. You know, I, but maybe I'm wrong. And maybe they start to, you know, the, because they kind of built up a backlog, maybe stuff starts to come out even faster. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I would I would assume it's two years from, from now. Uh, two years to write, pre, pre-production, film it, effects, post, all of that. Uh, and then get it ready and right. uh, hyped up. But I would love to be wrong. I would love for it to be in the next calendar year. Secretly, they filmed all of it, including a bunch with Ray Stevenson. Uh, wouldn't that be amazing? Oh. Uh, if they if they suddenly were like, "Psych, we we filmed sixteen episodes, but we broke it into two seasons." I don't. I don't think they could have done that without they anyone noticing. Why? Why would they have held that back? That that would, be, they did it all during nice the though. strike because they're all scabs. Yeah, they're all scabs. I <laughs> Greg, I was gonna cut that earlier part out yeah. and spare you people adding you, and now you just doubled down on it. Uh, so I don't. I don't know how to help you now. Um, all right, let's wrap up. PT. I know we keep saying we're gonna do this at the beginning of the show, and then I keep yeah. forgetting. But where can folks follow the long take review? 
For those of you who listened all the way through, thank you so much. And why don't you reward yourself for your efforts by following us on Instagram and threads at the Long Take Review. Or if there's no poll from Jen uh, in which you can ask some questions, why don't you ask questions of us uh, at the Long Take Review at gmail.com. Uh, if you want us to do more TV shows, talk about Star Wars more. Uh, if there's other content-based things you want us to make sure, never do this again. Uh, if there's any feedback you want to give us, uh, please look for us in all of these places. We're, we'll be glad to hear from you. And Greg, where can folks find you? Uh, let's see. I am on Instagram and I am on threads at IonCanon, E-Y-E-O-N-C-A-N-O-N. Uh, and I will say I we've already plugged my blog generously. Uh, thank you uh, to PT for doing so. And it's at IonCanon.com. Uh, there was a part of this episode where we talked about um, nostalgia and I wrote a blog post like three years ago that is one of the very few I brought over from my letterpress uh, or my WordPress over to my Substack, um, which used uh, was a talk about nostalgia and toxic nostalgia. And it used uh, Don Draper's uh uh, carousel uh, pitch as its kind of foundational moment to talk about. And I really liked that when I wrote it and I liked it enough to bring it over. So check it out, ioncanon.com. Uh, and you can find that there somewhere uh, in the backlog. Nice. And you can find me at Subchakchai, S-O-P-C-H-O-C-K-C-H-A-I on Instagram and threads and Qui-Gon Jen on Letterboxd. The Disney Plus train has not slowed. Loki Loki started the same week Ahsoka ended. That was rough for me. Uh, but I have I have a, a review up of the Loki season premiere, which was a lot of fun. Um, so if you are watching that show, keep an eye out for my weekly reviews. Thanks, everybody. You can follow The Long Take on Substack at thelongtake.substack.com. Subscribe for free to receive reviews of films with Oscar buzz, as well as new films and series from pop franchises like Star Wars and Marvel. Why are we waving? Goodbye. I don't know why I'm waving. It's a recording. I did. I waved because I was on Zoom conferences all day. Uh, what an idiot. I, I also was waiting because usually I press stop I know, we too soon in. and then you say bye and I feel bad. So yeah. I'm just trying to give you a chance to say bye, and now it's and now, now it's okay. weird. Now it's okay. Bye. Put this in the beginning. <laughs>